I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of November 2021, and guess what? It is time for our second annual No Theme November. Uh, essentially what that means is uh, Kyle is busy with some real life shit uh, in the form of his schooling, uh, so he is not essentially available uh, from week to week. So uh, this month, I'm using that as an opportunity to reach out to guests uh, to fill in his slot. However, uh, if he has time, uh, he will most certainly be joining us for whatever movies we end up reviewing. Uh, but part of the fun of No Theme November uh, is that I have been leaving it up to our guests uh, to determine what films we will be reviewing from week to week. Uh, so first up in November, I have Kyle's brother, Nick, uh, who has been on the show a couple of times at this point. And uh, Nick, uh, how's it going, man? How you been? It is going good. Glad to be back. I always have fun. The superior brother has returned. I'm ready to go. <laughs> okay, so says you. See, you're allowed to say that shit. Like, I, uh, He's I, not I, here. I... He can't stop me. <laughs> yeah, get it all out while you still can. <laughs> have another sip, by the way. <laughs> but uh, Nick, uh, as I said... I uh, was given the privilege of selecting the movie that we'd be reviewing this week, and uh, of all fucking things, Nick, <laughs> you gave me you gave me a big old list of movies. I did. I gave you a giant list. You did give me an out, but there was one among those films that jumped out at me, and and of all fucking films, Nick, you sure. just happen you just happen to pull that one card that just happens to be like literally the only sci-fi slash horror film that has that has like caused me legit trauma. And yeah. actually instilled instilled actual literal feelings of fear and anxiety. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Um, that would of course be Chuck Russell's The Blob from 1988. Uh, this would be the remake of the original The Blob from 1958. Of course, headlined by one Stephen McQueen uh, in I believe his first uh, starring role in cinema. But uh, Nick, I got to ask. I got to know. Why the blob? <laughs> well, you know, this I, I made a giant list that I sent you, and really it's your fault if you think about it. You're the one that, that picked this. I sent you a beautiful list of movies, and uh, you're like, okay, yeah, I see your list, and you were kind of leaning more towards uh, Spider-Man, Equilibrium, and the blob. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, I love Spider-Man. Let's do Spider-Man perfect. And you said, let's do the blob because you wanted to face some fears. So really, I think you're just drawn to it. I think you needed healing. And so that's reason number one. Reason number two, why it's on the list is because I honestly, I, I watched this maybe middle school and I felt like I had some preconceived notions about it. And I was very surprised by it. I felt like it was kind of underrated and I guess I just thought it'd be a just something to talk about. See, anybody else watched it? Do they like it? Uh, what what did they think about it? So that was kind of why I put it on the list. Okay, I mean that's fair. And I want to say I think I saw this in middle school as well. Um, and I think that's why it stuck with me so much. But yeah, um, you and I were talking before we started recording that I want to say that I was actually privy to the entire like arc of this film's like popularity. Uh, following it, yeah, it, yeah yeah like it, it it's somewhat of a cult film 
uh, because as I understand it, it was a total box office failure. Failure, like yeah, a, I could, like I a, could see that like yeah. a horrific failure at the box office. Probably largely in part due to the fact that it was titled The Blob. The Blob. The Blob. <laughs> in the year 1988, um, it's it's kind of a hokey title uh, for a decade packed with some pretty serious sci-fi and horror films. Um, but in recent years, though, I've noticed that like Twitter and Reddit and all these online communities, like gore, gore hounds and horror fans, right. like hardcore horror fans in particular, absolutely adore this film. Yeah. However, in reading like like reviews of it over the years, like like I used to have like a, a Leonard Malton review book and like a Roger and Ebert review book that my dad used to have me reference whenever we'd be watching schlock television and stuff. He'd be like, <laughs> get get the book get the book <laughs> what the, what the guy with the glasses say about the movie <laughs> it's like ah three stars this bullshit that guy with the glasses <laughs> doesn't know shit <laughs> but uh, i remember the reviews for this film actually were not terrible it's just it didn't find an audience however in recent years like within the past decade and a half or so my god it's actually like people adore this film now yeah and you know what? I think we, t- we talked about it, too. I think people are sick of com- CGI horror and effects and everything. And, and people are finding this and they're like, wow, this is actually pretty well done for being such an older movie. And it 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 still it still makes an impact. You know, it, it still looks pretty good. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there are certain sequences in this that like I, I defy them to take another swing at because it's like, yeah. you know, regardless of what technology you come at it from, like just from a aesthetic standpoint, from an artistic standpoint of achieving some of these gore effects, uh, it's pretty incredible stuff. Uh, and that's part of what the charm of the movie is, is that oh, it's yeah. like you have top flight talent, like both in front of and behind the camera working on the blob um, and they and they spared no expense in rendering the effects of the blob this this is the type of the production that getting off the ground today with with a satisfactory budget to achieve like top top of the line effects i don't i don't know if you could actually do that i don't no. know if you could actually raise the funds to make a movie of this like of this level of production quality today i, I just don't <laughs> think the environment's right for it um but yeah this this movie is I, I want to say it's a it's a cult film, but it really shouldn't be. Like it, it should have found an audience, but I want to say just probably it was poorly marketed. And and again, that that title in 1988 probably yeah. just didn't didn't sit well with yeah. audiences of the day. The blab. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious, Nick. Do you have any familiarity with the original The Blob? I I do not. In fact, the only. I don't think I even knew it was a remake until afterwards. And I was like, why, like, where did this movie come from? I've never heard of it until now. And um, I think I just probably did some basic internet Google search and, and found out that it was a remake. I don't know if it's in, if it's close to the original. I, I really have no idea what the original is. Uh, the remake I want to say is, is quite, quite superior to the original. However, it, it is important to note the original is, I believe, part of the Criterion Collection. Um, it it is a B movie, like it is a low budget nineteen fifties yeah. atomic age monster movie, um, with hokey effects rendered with like strawberry jam and jello. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but it's it's a classic of its day, and it has a lot of the the typical like Cold War fever uh, elements, uh, like of subtext going on in the story. Oh, yeah. Um, and it also had this this interesting uh, beat in the story about uh like uh generational gaps 
where it's it's a B movie where the heroes and the people who know all the truth about the monster are young people and like the biggest conflict in the movie isn't so much the monster it's more just like having the adults listen to the kids basically oh so it's like a youth power kind of movie like a kid power movie <laughs> I, I guess that's okay i mean yeah. it, it was interesting like it, <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a fun little movie but it, it's very very talky there's not a whole lot of action to it uh the effects work you know again strawberry jam and and jello like they really couldn't do the kinds of things that they would be able to do 30 years later such that i don't think the blob actually uh, like actually kills anyone on screen in the 58 film okay it, that's it just kind of, it just kind of like gloms onto them occasionally and then we cut away does it like that's what i was wondering does it do the same thing i know we haven't really given up a, a plot rundown but you know but does it like does it burn them and eat them basically <laughs> uh it it does absorb them so it does eat them but it, it's entirely bloodless uh mm. there's i mean it is the coloring of the thing actually does imply gore and violence in the form of it being blood fucking red because that's what it ingests um, but in terms of like on-screen violence, like there are some intense images in that fifty-eight one. Like uh, there, there are at least two sequences directly uh, added to the nineteen eighty-eight version, like directly referencing the original uh, in mm -hmm. the form of uh, the discovery of the of the monster is the same, like almost identical, oh. um, including the thing glomming onto the guy's hand. That that in the fifty-eight version is actually legit, kind of unnerving. It looks kind of creepy, yeah. although it's obviously just like heated sugar on, a, on, a, on on like a mannequin hand or something but um and then the, the movie theater sequence is also a direct oh, reference to the original but i love that i love that scene that's yeah the, the 58 scene. movie is is a totally different beast however uh, man there there was this like this hot streak of 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 like b movie remakes that we got through the 70s and maybe even into the 90s uh, of like 1950s movies, but taking another swing at it and all for the better. Like this, oh, this, yeah. this was a, a trend of remakes that we unfortunately don't really get these days where it seems like everybody rolls their eyes and groans whenever a remake is announced these days. However, during like the late 70s through the 80s, my God, all of these remakes were just utter brilliance. Like what? like Invasion of the Body Snatchers is, is the first oh. big one I, that comes to mind. Oh, I, I actually almost put that on my list because I, I love that movie and I don't know why. Like it, it, I feel like if I made my wife watch it, she would find it so boring. But it's like I, I love it. it. It's almost like a comfort movie for me. and I, I don't know why. But what other ones? I know The Thing. I know that was a big one. That's really the only other one that I, I am aware of that is an actual remake or a I mean, there's only a few others, like at least high-profile ones, anyway. Right. But but Invasion of the Body Snatchers is kind of the 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 oldest one that comes to mind. Um, I mean, there were references, not not direct remakes, but references to to films past. Like I think American Werewolf in London came out in 1980. That okay. is not a remake of any movies, but it is but referencing, yeah. you know, the werewolf movies from the 1940s. Um, but then. Uh, the thing as you mentioned john carpenter's the thing from 82 uh, was a remake of uh, the thing from another world uh, which in turn was an adaptation of who goes there uh, a short story um wow. and that movie also uh john carpenter's the thing flopped horribly at the box office oh man um in fact i think it got a razzie for its score 
which, which was in, just baffling being as it yeah. was the score was done by Ennio Morricone who these days is like cinematic royalty like he is un he's untouchable like, like you, you you cannot touch that man like he has given us so much gold uh, in the world of film scores but yeah John Carpenter's The Thing was one of the other really big ones Dave, uh, David Cronenberg's The Fly oh. that, that that is one of one of one of if not the very best of these uh, that I'm going on did, about here did I put that on my list I took it off or did or did I put it on the actual list I don't know if you put it on your list. Uh, I, I feel like that one would have jumped out at me, but that is a movie that I, I saw with my dad when I was probably a little bit too young. Oh, it's on there? It's there. I put I put in parentheses, though, that this may be above me. <laughs> <laughs> beyond um, beyond my movie skill. <laughs> it, it is a dense film. Like, yeah. there is a lot going on yeah. there. Um, yeah. and, and it's a fantastic film, though. Um, I, I, I like your, your feeling about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I, I quite like that film as well. Uh, I think part of why it's so easy for you to come back to, why it's so cozy, is because it's such a good-ass film. Yeah. Like, it's just really <laughs> well-made all around, and the cast is really fascinating. Mm. Like You have all these really familiar faces playing against type for the most part, and a lot of them serve as like red herrings throughout throughout the film. And then it's like like unbearably dark at times. Like It, yeah. it, is, a, it is a grim ass movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah um but yeah the fly is absolutely fantastic however uh the blob is kind of the one that came out probably latest in the in that timeline it was but, 88 yeah um and it also seems to be the one that it took the longest for people to really realize just how good it was it is also the lightest of all the ones i mentioned like in terms of tone it, yes, it's it it's very yeah. very violent but you can tell that there's a there's a quality of fun to it that isn't yes. present in any of the other ones we've been talking about yes like it is it is the most just like fun like fun time at the movies type experiences the other ones like i said are a little more dense there's a little bit more going on um but yeah uh this one was uh, directed by chuck russell who uh, i think we were talking about before we started recording um he and Frank Darabont, who served as the writer for this film, uh, both previously collaborated on uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, uh, The Dream Warriors. Uh, that one's easy to remember because that, that theme song at the end of the movie is a banger <laughs> by Dawkin. <laughs> I, don't know if I've, I don't think I've seen it. There's oh, so many uh, of those movies, though. I, I've uh, your, s- your brother, I think, watched it very recently, uh, oh. just like last week or so. Well, I told him to stick around for the theme song. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Chuck Russell had a really strange arc uh, in his filmography uh, because he showed so much promise. Like, like I don't understand his arc. Like, I don't know. Maybe he's a prick uh, because I have seen him in interviews. He does seem a little bit arrogant, but he doesn't seem like a total fucking prick, although hmm. he very well may be because at, um, in glancing at his filmography, it's like we got Nightmare on Elm Street 3 did fantastic. Yeah. Like, like it did very well at the box office. Critically, it's regarded as one of the best of that franchise, regardless of your feelings about it. Then we got The Blob. Didn't do so hot at the box office, but these days people like it. Then we got The Fucking Mask. Jim Carrey in The Mask. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. That movie made all the money and I... certainly cemented Jim Carrey as, you know, the the early 90s guy. Yeah. And then Eraser. 
a decent Schwarzenegger film from the mid '90s. Not not a remarkable one, but a decent no. one. <laughs> yeah, watchable. He shoots, for sure. just shoots a crocodile and tells him, <laughs> "Now your luggage." <laughs> and then we got Scorpion King. Okay, we could have done better, but it's okay. <laughs> and then he takes like a, a half decade break, and he comes back with a direct-to-video John Travolta movie that I have seen, Nick, called "I Am Wrath." Uh, where it's John Travolta wearing a bad hairpiece, and it's him and a, is it Christopher Maloney, uh, is, from uh, Law, Law and Order SVU? Is that that's not the weird? I think that is his name. That's not yeah. the weird one where he's like a weird super fan, right? No, where, no, that's the fanatic. Okay, well that uh, duh. Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> but but then he just kind of like trails off, and now he's making movies in India. He, d- he did the Rennie Harlan thing, which, funny enough, he directed uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, and now he's making movies almost exclusively in China. So they both just, like, took their career. They pulled up stakes and then went overseas. Why? But, there, but there's just this huge gap in his filmography where he just was not working. So I, hmm. I suspect he might be kind of a prick, but, you know, he gets good results for the most part. <laughs> or he, he uses people that can do good things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, Nick, would you like me to give a plot summary, or or you're the guest? You want to you want to introduce our film? You want to explain the blob? The blob? No, I'm gonna say that at least forty more times. So just prepare yourself. No, <laughs> I, I I think this is your healing process. If you got it, you do it. Okay. Well, before I do that, I may as well explain what Nick is referencing here. Oh, sorry. Uh, so I I did hype this up uh, at the top of the broadcast, but uh, so this movie actually legit scared me at, at a certain point in my life and it, it kind of mm. like seared into my memory and created some some psychological scarring uh for <laughs> sure like legit because i to this day in my mid like almost mid 30s now i still occasionally have nightmares of certain sequences or specifically one sequence of this film um and i think that's why why it jumped out at me on your list nick is because i was like there, there's this concept of exposure therapy yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That I haven't personally gone through it or subjected myself to it, but I'm very familiar with the concept. Um, and it dawned on me that's like, you know, I'm having an emotional reaction to exactly one film on this list. It has nothing <laughs> to do with the quality of the film. It's it's just I see the words the and blob next to each other in sequence, and I I just in the pit of my stomach I just get this little pinch. It's like <gasps> it's like that's not good. I should probably do something about that. Or or at the very least, maybe address it in some fashion. Uh, so I, I think some part of my subconscious told me, you know, Trevor, I think it's about time you, you took another swing at that blob thing. Like may, maybe take away some of the, some of that blob's power by just staring in, staring into it <laughs> and just like subjecting <laughs> yourself to its awfulness. And hopefully you'll come out better for it. And like, I don't know. I can't. Uh, maybe I'm speaking too soon, but I want to say I, I, I think it actually kind of worked a little. There you go. I'm here to help. That's all like, I'm here Like, for. I think I feel a little better. Like, I didn't have a nightmare. I, I kept hyping this up. I was texting Nick before we started recording. Like, when he, when we agreed to do the blog, that, like, <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna get nightmares. I'm, I'm, I'm so mad at you on some level. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna straight up tell you I'm mad at you, but, but deep down, I'm like, I'm, I'm mad at you <laughs> for making me do this. But yeah, now that I've sat down and just like straight up just watched the film as an adult, I think I'm a little better now. I think I, I have started the healing process. That, that's good. And, you know, 
everybody i think has that movie i want to say for sure mine was the jaw not the jaws oh my gosh i got i got the second <laughs> the <mind>. jaws the <laughs> jaws uh jaws uh just that beginning scene of jaws and just throughout the whole movie i'm like uh, i remember my dad tells me every like when we finished the movie i turned to him and i said are there any of those around here thank god we live in indiana cornfields all around so no sharks but i, I don't like the ocean i don't so no i i don't think that's uncommon there's definitely things that we watch that we see that it, it sticks with us. So, yeah, I, I think it all has to do with timing. Like you, yes. you get the right image, you get the right feeling at exactly the right point in your life. And it just like it puts a little stamp on your brain. Um, yep. That's actually a thing that I've noticed with video games. It really pisses me off. Oh, is it? Well, now that I'm older, I think that part of my brain uh, has too much scar tissue built up over it such that I just don't engage on an emotional level with, with games and stories the same way I used to as a kid. Because, like, I go back and I, like, play some of, like, the RPGs I used to play on my Super Nintendo, and I misremember them entirely because I was so much more invested in the experience when I was a child. But now I, I treat it very literally as an adult, and I just, like, read strictly what's in the speech boxes, and I'm just like, oh, shit, there, there wasn't no story. Like, these characters are completely two-dimensional. It's like, what the fuck? I just fabricated as a story in my head because I, I just had a better tool set yeah. uh, in my brain chemistry. But yeah. anyway, uh, I'm actually kind of surprised it was the first scene in Jaws. For me, it was always Quint. Uh, when Quint gets oh, it in that yeah. movie, that uh, oof, that's well, still rough, man. That that one does get me as well. The first one, it, it was just like you didn't see it. And yes. I think in your mind, you're making your own images and, and things. So I think that's why it was like. <gasps> yeah, I, I hope Spielberg gets back to his roots and like starts like trying to scare kids again because <laughs> like he he really gets off at a certain there's a certain cutoff point where he stops getting off on it. But like early on in his career, like that was his pride and joy. It was just like, <laughs> Oh, this will really fuck with some kids. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, okay. So here, here's our uh, plot rundown for Deb Lab. Deb Lab. Directed by Chuck Russell from 1988. This is of course a remake, but uh, basically our plot summary is a, uh, a object falls from the sky. Uh, in a small American town, uh, and from the fallen object emerges a mass, a gooey mass, uh, yeah. that seeks to devour and envelop all around it. That's very it. mishaps ensue. Yep, it's very simple setup, but that's part of the charm of it. Is yeah, that it's a very simple concept, but the devil is in the details because uh, yeah, it's... one thing that is actually worth remarking upon like in regards to this movie is the uh the detail in the script like the level of love and care put into simple plantings and payoffs and more than that like like that that's like screenwriting 101 type stuff that shouldn't be impressive but but somehow is <laughs> you're about the setups yeah it, it's like fundamentals you know it's like it it shouldn't be impressive because you know it's fundamentals like it's just right basic bread and butter storytelling and yet you don't get that all the time, and when and when you get it, you notice it because you don't get it all the time. But part of what I like about it is that is that they really treat the town like like a town, like the characters yeah. all have destinies, uh, like entirely separated from the monster and from the menace. Like everybody's just living their lives, and then this thing just rolls into their path, and then shit goes down. 
But like before the thing even gets into the town, like our characters are actually fairly well defined and I found myself just kind of liking a lot of the characters except for the ones that you're explicitly kind of told not to. Mm-hmm. But like there's a lot of really likable like seemingly dimensioned characters in this. Like like the the sheriff and the the waitress at the diner. Like the two of them just they have like two scenes and yeah. the, and you get a decent sense of both of them and they both seem like people like not just like caricatures or pe- like victims i guess like in a slasher movie they just seem like townsfolk yeah but yeah how do you want how do you want to tackle this one nick you want to go beat for beat with this guy i think honestly for the sake of the setups and just to remind me of of what's uh, just everything maybe the effects too the ones that sit out to it to uh, us i think yeah let's just go through it i don't i don't honestly uh well i better not say that <laughs> i was gonna say, <laughs> I say i don't think it would be too long but you know what i, I don't think it'll hurt to go through it I, I know we got the intro scene where you said the falls from the sky um but well, I don't... that that's actually what's kind of neat is we take our time getting to that yeah, like, you're right. Because like the, I think... the 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 fifty eight film actually, uh, it's funny because the fifty eight film gets gets rolling real fucking fast, oh. and then it just slows down. That's like it's it starts incredibly fast. Like like it's almost jarring where it's just like we fade up from black and it's like ah Steve McQueen's forehead, <laughs> a lot of wrinkles too, <laughs> and then like as he's like schmoozing his date, like just we see the the meteorite come down. And it's like within the first couple minutes, it's like, oh, there's the blob. <laughs> so, but in the 88 one, it's like, no, we take our time. In fact, we have like the coldest of cold openings and yeah. it's chilling. It's like I, legit kind of cool. Actually, I can't remember what comes first. Does the does the meter, meteorite, I don't know the difference. I'm stupid. Does the meteorite come first or is it the football? I can't remember. As far as I know, like meteor, meteoroid, and meteorite have to do with uh, where where it's located in space. Like one is when it's just a floating body in space. One is when it's massive, and I think one is when it enters our atmosphere. Okay. I think it's meteorite, but I'm probably totally fucking wrong. Yeah. Stalactite, stalagmite. Stalactite's the one on the ceiling because it's got a hole tight. I don't know. To this day, I don't know. (laughs) In my head, I'm going to be dead because I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but yeah, our, our opening shots are just like space which is very okay. very typical for movies of the day or sci-fi movies of, of any genre honestly but um we have we have like a like a purple font like a purple highlighted font that makes me think of uh ninja turtles a little bit um, i was thinking of but uh, purple, power rangers like it, it makes me think of the ooze <laughs> the, the, <laughs> like the ooze yeah potentially involving secrets but <laughs> but um yeah we we go from space and then uh we like penetrate the atmosphere like the camera plunges into earth's atmosphere and then we get this really cool map painting of a small american town yeah. and we see that it's like nestled at the base of like a, a mountainside and and we see that there's evergreen trees everywhere so it's just this little pocket of civilization um, and it's a really awesomely rendered map painting, but the opening shots of the movie after that are just like a ghost town. Yeah, it's like, just it's, a, a it's town. It's just the town with yeah. the credits and like really subdued, really like downplayed score. Um, but then there's an explanation as to why the town's empty, and it, it's yeah. not because everybody's dead. Like it's not like like the the blobby shit already happened. Um, we we have this this one cut where it's like we're looking at a cemetery, and then we pan over. And it's like, oh, it's a small town. 
and it's high school football day. (laughs) (laughs) So the entire town is gathered for the game, basically. Um, But those opening shots just have like a chilling atmosphere to them. It's just anytime you see like a a totally uninhabited town, it's going to put you like on your heels a little bit. And and I have a question about that too because what I I actually wrote in my, before the movie even started I put down what I loved about it it's that it, it is a small town taken over by something alien you know not necessarily from space but a monster or creature whatever it may be and is that um, is that considered a B movie in itself or is that just a I don't know what you would call it. I love those movies where it's like a small town and then out of nowhere, something comes and just wrecks everything. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a total sucker for that format as well. Yes. Uh, I, I find it very cozy. Uh, yes. it's, I get, I get a kick out of it every time like tremors in particular, like in terms of more modern versions of that formula, I adore that movie. Um, and mm-hmm. anytime you, you have like an isolated small town having to fight some otherworldly menace, uh, you'll you'll get my money. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, but I I think B movie is more of a distinction of budget level, and okay. you, usually usually it's an antiquated film, like it's from the 1950s or early 60s. Um, so we do have B level movies these days, but they're more just like not traditional B movies. It's more just like this is low budget trash (laughs) this is a red box film is what we're getting at um but yeah a lot of a lot of b movies though from especially from the 1950s like the atomic era of monster movies where it was always it was almost always like a small thing made big by radiation because we didn't actually really want to talk about what radiation does to things (laughs) so everybody's just like yeah it makes you big right it's like (laughs) yeah right (laughs) get back in your shelter grandpa (laughs) but um yeah so we're at the football game and uh we get introduced to a couple of our our main players here like most of the main cast is present in the stands but they aren't like laser focused on but uh the main players we get introduced to during the game are uh uh, shawnee smith uh as meg uh, who serves as our, our leading lady for the film. Uh, she's one of the cheerleaders. Uh, mm-hmm. She got that blow-dried late, late 80s hair, uh, very big hair. Everybody what? has big hair, and this Kevin Dillon holds the record oh, for gosh. the biggest hair. Oh, it's <laughs> terrible. That's awful. <laughs> it, it's kind of amazing, actually. <laughs> I wish he still had that. <laughs> but um, Shawnee Smith is, a, is kind of a, a veteran, uh, these days of the horror genre, uh, largely because of the Saw franchise. Um, but funny enough, I don't know if, if you're familiar with her, but for me, I was one of the five fucking people on this planet that watched a shit ton of Becker back in the day. Um, so Oops. I got a lot of Shawnee Smith during my college days. <laughs> Honestly, I had no idea who she was. I was like, I don't think I've seen her in anything. But the, when you said saw, I immediately saw the face. And I was like, oh, that's who that is. She but has I'm... a weird speech cadence, too. Like, like in Becker, they really had her dial it up where she, she sounds kind of deadpan and checked out a lot of the times. Hmm. Like, she see, she sounds disingenuous, actually. Like, she sounds yeah. like she's bullshitting all the time. I was like, oh, that's just how you talk. <laughs> <laughs> but in this, she's playing more, like, flat, more normal. Yes. Like like she she gives a good performance of this and the yeah. character is actually pretty well defined but she's mostly just here to be like a rock. Like she's she's the person we we get the most face time with 
uh, and the person that like I guess has the the greatest arc in the story aside from Kevin Dillon. Yeah, she turns into Rambo for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> like it's all relegated to like the final act, but I mean she she goes through some shit in this movie. She's she does. Cha- she is she a changed is. person by the end of this movie. Uh, <laughs> some serious trauma. It's like Trevor, you think you had it bad? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, She's not gonna be able to sleep. <laughs> I'm amazed. Like, uh, like as her parents, it's like, do you really want to leave her alone in a bed like, right now? No, no way. Uh, but the other uh, fellow that we're introduced to here is a uh, Donovan Leach or Donovan Leach. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but uh, this fellow plays uh, Paul, uh, who is uh, a receiver on the on the football team, I believe. Uh, and he's he's kind of framed as our, our he's he's framed as the other half of our breeding pair in our traditional horror movie uh, setup, um, and good God, what they do with the setup is kind oh, of it's kind of amazing. <laughs> it got me, man. It got me good. Yeah, it it it. I mean, the the scene uh, that we yeah. will get to shortly. Uh, that yep. he he is on the receiving end of the scene that that absolutely destroyed Trevor's uh, sleep schedule. Uh, well into adulthood can't, <laughs> can't wait yeah uh but yeah we have a we have like kind of, it's almost like a meet cute because they go to school together oh yeah um but they have this fun little beat where he's he's being like egged on by his his buddy uh his lecherous buddy on the bench uh telling him to like go ask out shawnee smith is like, hey man she got big hair you're into that right <laughs> and he's like yeah you know timing's everything and then we have a nice comedic payoff in the form of him getting fucking tackled Stop. through the gatorade oh. table yeah. uh, like waterboyed ha- yeah yeah he gets waterboyed <laughs> water sucks <laughs> um and he's like half concussed and then she's standing over him and he's like hey meg what are you doing tonight passes out <laughs> it's like yep. oh, concussion protocol for you no date night <laughs> but it was the 80s he like they he's fine he'll shake it off yeah, t- <laughs> take a salt tablet. You'll be fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the setup for for them. So we have our our football star and our cheerleader. They're gonna they're gonna hang out that night. They're gonna go out on a date. Uh, meanwhile, though, we get the do. We get Kevin Dillon and his uh, uh his leather jacket that he never takes off except for when he's trying to warm up a lady. Yeah, that's uh, right. And uh, he looks like. Like I don't know, Alice Cooper meets Dio. <laughs> oh gosh, that hair—it's—it's it's too much. It's he, distracting. He looks like he belongs in the back. He—he he looks like a stand-in for like White Snake or something. <laughs> like during, like when they're doing the music video shoot, it's like it's like okay, White Snake needs to take a toilet break. Like bring in Kevin Tillon. His silhouette kind of matches. <laughs> no, it, but yeah, it, this this mullet is extraordinary. It hurts me. It, it's painful to look at, really. <laughs> I kind of love it. Honestly. I can't. It's terrible. <laughs> it makes him impossible to take seriously, but it's just like <laughs> you need to remind yourself it's like he was okay with that. Like every, he was proud of that cuz that took time to grow. <laughs> and that's probably why I call it the blob is because of him. Yeah, and he does have a way of talking. He, he like he likes to <laughs> chew on his words, you know. He likes to talk out of the side of his mouth, you know. He's like, "Can I borrow your ratchet set?" <laughs> We got to go fight the blob. <laughs> Thankfully, actually, that's something I noticed in a, in the 58 film, if memory serves, and definitely in this film. Uh, I don't believe the, the words double up are ever spoken. <laughs> Just by me? 
I don't think it's ever. I don't think those words no. are ever spoken. No, like no. I don't think blob is ever said in either Never. film. Which is why why did they pick that of all the things you could title it? Nobody says it. No, it's you could have said anything. You, well, you, there were working titles. Um, originally, I think the pitch was the mass which has no ring to it whatsoever. So I would totally reject that. Cause I mean, I hate to say it, but most people probably think church or something. If you, if you title a movie that, um, and then I yeah. think the glob with a G, <laughs> uh, was, was thrown out there, but there was like a, a fear of some sort of copyright infringement. Uh, so they deferred to the blab. <laughs> I was going to say, what would you title it? If you could title it, Strawberry Jam. What, what would you call it? I, I <laughs> Strawberry <know>. Jam. <laughs> Strawberry Jam from the stars. <laughs> I don't know. The, I think the blob is, it is an audacious title. And in fact, they were very wise to, uh, there, there's actually a theme song for the original, the blob uh, called good. Beware the Blob. Oh, good gravy. And it, it has like a, I don't know, like a, a sock hop kind of vibe to it. And it's like, it has a it has a catchy ass tune but it's it's a tone setter for that movie where it's like there are going to be some some moments you know in the theater where your your date's going to grab your arm and you know you're going to snuggle up and stuff but for the most part this is going to be just you know a fun time in the movies um i don't know it is an audacious title but i i think i think it takes balls to do that and it kind of pays off because it is memorable it, I mean, yeah, it, it is for sure, but I feel like it hurt it, and I'm just wondering <laughs> what if they had titled it maybe something else would it, it would it have helped? Well, I I I want to say in 1988 it would have helped. Um, however, I I want to say based on some of the deliberate references to the original present in this remake, I want to say the filmmakers probably wanted wanted to just call it the blob out of like reverence yeah, for the, respect, out yeah. of respect and reverence of, of the source material similar to the fly you yeah. could have called that something different as well but the original movie was called the fly same with invasion of the body snatchers that's also yeah, kind of an audacious right. title yeah, that's that kind is. of hokey yeah it feels like it's out of a different era and yet when you when you really commit to making a good ass movie out of yeah, out good. of a title like that yeah if you if you if you are successful, people re- will respect you for it. And, you know, it, it, it is a funky title, <laughs> but it is very, very memorable. And it also has the added benefit of being slightly ambiguous uh, to the extent that you can su- you can reference the blob without referencing the movie itself. Like, you can, you can use the turn of phrase blob, and people have an image in their head that will more than likely resemble that, you know, the thing from the movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's pretty open ended. But yeah, we we get Kevin Dillon, and you can tell he's a bad boy because he got big ass <laughs> hair and a leather jacket. Oh, and oh, he also uh, he also drinks beer during he's the day. Tough. Oh, he, he's yeah. a tough guy. Like <laughs> he, you know, like up his sleeves, like Snake from The Simpsons. He's got like a pack of cigarettes rolled up in one of his sleeves or something. <laughs> he's yeah, probably right. in a band on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got a motorcycle. A shitty a shitbox motorcycle it's his pride and joy and i liked uh there's actually like a fun little bit of like like landmark uh there's like a literal landmark in the film in the form of a, a beater truck uh that he's hanging out by uh because when we revisit the site later on in the movie we see that truck and we the audience because we've seen it earlier in the film it's like oh i know where we are 
Oh, yeah. Therefore, I know where this scene is going, and it makes it more satisfying because of it. And what I'm referencing here is the first thing we see him do is take a swig of a beer, doing some day drinking, uh, and then he hops on his motorcycle, and I guess he's bored and half drunk, so he decides to jump a fucking bridge. That's right. Just going to jump this bridge, our first setup. Yeah, the first thing I'm going to do in this movie is try to kill myself by hurling myself off a bridge. I think my, I was watching with my wife. She goes, why is he doing this? I'm like, because it's for later. Well, I mean, short answer is, have you seen this fucking town? <laughs> they ain't I got no a, Nintendo. That's a good point. <laughs> like, yeah. This is nineteen eighty eight in a small ass town. They ain't got no Nintendo. <laughs> but yeah, he tries to jump this bridge on his motorcycle. But what I liked about having that truck there just as a simple landmark is like I said, when we come back to this, it, a couple of shots preceding the actual jump, we see that truck and it's like, Oh, I know that truck. It's like, Oh, I know where he's going and I know what he's going to have to do. And then when it happens, yeah. you're like, Hey, I, I got the thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, while he's out there, uh, he happens across the, the can man. Uh, oh, he's, he's yeah, just a homeless guy that lives in the woods. Basically his skillet shoe setup. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. That was a great, I mean, that's ingenious. I love that. I know, idea. that's what I said. I was like, that is really fucking smart. I know, right? <laughs> but him and, is that like an Australian shepherd or something that he had? His dog is adorable. Yeah, that was the first question my wife asked too. She goes, does the dog die? I'm like, I don't think so. Uh, nobody else is safe, but I think the dog is okay. Yeah, I, dog is safe. Dog makes a curious exit in the film, though. Yeah. He just, just, just kind of pieces like, out. <laughs> um, whereas in the 58 film, the dog is, like, present throughout most of the film. And, in fact, they, like, really hardcore tease the fact that that dog may have bit the dust. Oh. And there, wow. it's only it's only because of, like, a, a, a line of dialogue inserted in there where it's like, <laughs> oh, we, we don't actually see the dog safe. We just have some guy mention, oh, yeah, I saw that dog you were looking for, like, run down the street. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, the dog's not dead, even though it stopped barking for, like, a good solid five minutes there. <laughs> so I was getting worried. Um, but, yeah, he has a cool dog with him. He's out in the woods, and he has a little, like, applause at his uh, – Kevin Dillon botches this jump real bad, by the way. Very bad, yeah. By the way, character's name is Brian Flagg, uh, mostly called – mostly referred to as Flag. Flag. <laughs> Flag. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, then we, we go back to the town for a bit just for a couple of character building episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, we get introduced to the, the sheriff um, and the waitress at the diner. Um, and we see that they have like a little romance brewing. Um, and we plant some seeds uh, for some scenes to come uh, yeah. in the form of him asking her out. And he tells her, I'm off at 11. So he's like, hmm, perhaps I'll come back later on in the movie. And I'll have a reason to be where I am, you know, later on in the movie. Yeah. Um, but what I liked about their dynamic is it's very warm. It feels like this town, like the, the way the characters and the way that the, the time allotted to them in the, in the early goings of the movie, the way, the way it all plays out, it feels like the town is just operating as like business as normal, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's not like a, a, an out of the ordinary day until it's not. So it feels like everybody has an existence beyond beyond the frame, basically. Like like these characters have existed great like a greater time than the runtime of the movie, which you don't you don't get in movies of this nature all the time. In particular, like slasher movies where everybody's just lining up to be, you know, 
Vic murders, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. Actually, yeah, I was because I was thinking, I'm like, why? Why are these two single? Like, what? There's got to be a history behind it. I'm like, wait, why do I care? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like I, somehow you find yourself caring, even though you, there really is no reason. Yeah. To, like the amount of screen time devoted to these characters, they have like two or three scenes at most. Like, yeah. there's not there's not much to them, and yet they're they're well performed and scripted in such a way that you you kind of do find yourself caring a little bit. Well, I didn't realize until this viewing that the sheriff is killed off screen, isn't he? Uh, we do see what became of him. He is yeah. grabbed off screen, but we do see his ultimate fate. Yes. Um, and actually, I, I don't know when would be the best time to get into this. I feel like pecking at it's maybe the best way. But I did notice a thing this time around that I want to say some of the people were cast in this movie based on their facial structure. Uh, because uh, the... Uh, the projector operator uh, in the theater. Okay. He has very distinct facial yep. features. Like he has a very distinct yeah. silhouette. Yeah. Uh, the sheriff, uh, who is also, I think, a friend of Frank Darabont. Uh, he's been in many of his movies. Um, and yeah, th- I just noticed that there's a lot of people that have like distinct faces to them, and I was noticing that those people tended to be the ones who had like castings done of their faces. Oh, I, I didn't even notice. And my theory is that it was in, it was done intentionally because when you have someone with a very distinct facial structure, it makes it easier to sell as a a, a, a work of artifice. Like if you if you fabricate yeah. their face in makeup effects, like you make a puppet out of someone's face, if they have like a really like basic facial structure, it's gonna look really indistinct and and it's just not gonna look as it's not gonna stand out as much. It's not gonna look as accurate. But if you have a guy with like a really distinct shape to his nose and like really bushy eyebrows and like a weird shape to his skull, then when you recreate that in puppet form, you it's very easy to make the connection as to who that's supposed to represent. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I never thought about that, but yeah, I mean, that, it, that it's just a sense. theory. But also, it I I don't know the name of the the fellow who plays the sheriff, but um, like I said, he is a he is a friend of Frank Darabont, I suspect, because he is in a lot of his movies. Like he's also in, in the Mist, um, yeah, among others as well. Um, but yeah, uh, we we go to the we go to the diner for a bit, uh, but then the the plot kind of picks up when uh, all of our our parties are kind of converging. So, uh, do you remember the the bit in the pharmacy though? Just wanted yeah. to point that out real quick. Yeah, the pharmacy bit. Yeah, that because, was pretty funny. That's <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Yeah, um, uh, the, it was the jock's friend that was buying some ribbed condoms, and uh, it, it comes back later when the when our Paul jock guy picks up his date. Yeah, uh, we have a fun bit where the two football players are in the pharmacy, and uh, Art Lafleur plays the pharmacist. By the way, he's one of those that guys that he plays yes. a lot of football coaches in, in TV and movies. Like he has yep. that kind of look to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he plays the pharmacist, and uh, the one guy is uh, he's buying the condoms, and then he's trying to play it off as like very casual thing. Uh, but then uh, the reverend shows up and starts talking to him. And then the pharmacist does, he like very intentionally just steps into the frame. Yeah. He's like, you want the regular or the real? <laughs> yeah, just he... to kind of take a shit on the kid. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and the reverend just kind of gives like a... <laughs> but by the way, did you recognize the the fellow that plays the, the reverend? I actually didn't know. I couldn't figure out who he was if he was anybody I'd seen before. 
so I I'm not surprised that you don't recognize him, but it's very it's very worthwhile to point out. Uh, so this this fella is Del Close, uh, who is regarded as like one of the most important figures in a uh, improv improvisational theater. Oh, um, he was largely based in Chicago, if memory serves, and like most of like the Second City comedic performers like that rose to prominence through like the the 70s and 80s like like the murrays like the murray family chris farley dan Aykroyd, all of these people trained under him and he he's like the guy uh in improv basically um i've seen him in documentaries uh he he's a he's really kind of terrifying guy like he's he's like really really funny obviously he's a comedian and he's he's an improv artist but he's deathly serious about the art form, and it's like okay. really intimidating. Um, he he has a lot of really interesting things to say. I believe he passed away, but um, he was he was in a Blob film actually. Uh, it was the sequel to the original The Blob, so I guess this was like a fun bit of like Easter egg casting. But on top of that, it's like dude's like the improv god. It's like I think he can handle himself in front of the camera. <laughs> And that's I, this is totally off on a tangent, but I, I guess I don't those two things in my mind don't go together like improv and seriousness. It's like you are playing pretend, but yet you're taking it so seriously. It, it just like in my mind, they, they don't go together. And I remember talking to Kyle <clears throat> about this. I'm just like, like Tommy Lee Jones in his interviews. He's like, so serious. He's like, those are characters. That's just fake that. But I'm like, you're playing pretend. Like surely you can, you like you're using your imagination, but yet it's deathly serious. But that's just me. I'm just a guy. Acting is a, is a very strange art form. There's a lot of strange yes. people that, that are invested in, in that particular uh, style of performance. Um, very fascinating stuff, but yeah, it's very difficult. Uh, to wrap your head around if if you haven't practiced it yourself i've only bore witness to it and and listened to talks about it i've never attempted it but Mm -hmm. listening to certain people from certain schools of acting it it is a method like like there is a lot to it and there there is an element of like seriousness that that comes in the approach to it like um i remember listening to an interview with jeremy irons and uh, the terminology he was using was uh energy points um, he's basically like creating focal points on his, on his body, like, like on parts of his head that he would put, he would devote focus to like emphasizing. And he said, that's how he would differentiate between like characters and performances, because there was a film he did with David Cronenberg called uh, dead ringers where he had to play twins. And he had the challenge of having to portray two very different people who happened to be Jeremy Irons, who both look identical and so yeah. he was like, I'm going to like hold my head and I'm going to adjust my posture to as a visual cue and also like to to give my ener- like give my performance a certain quality, a certain energy to it that will differentiate from when I'm switching over. It's, it's highly technical stuff that, again, I don't think it really makes any sort of sense unless you actually practice it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I did think it was interesting seeing Del Close here. The only other time I've seen him in film was I think he has like two lines of dialogue in the in the Brian De Palma uh, The Untouchables, um, which I think I mean the movie takes place in Chicago. I don't know if it was shot there, but that would explain. It's like hang, we're in Chicago. Let's go knock on Del Close's door. <laughs> it's like why? It's like well, because we can ask him to do anything, and he'll fucking figure he'll out how it. to do it. Yep. <laughs> like, he'll but, fill a spot. Yep. But yeah, I did think it was neat though that he he 
actually does have a legacy with this franchise. Like he was yeah. in the sequel called uh, Beware the Blob or Son of the Blob, depending on where you find it. Uh, but yeah, we have the episode in the in the pharmacy. It's a fun little bit of comedy. But then uh, night falls, and uh, all of our 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 setup is complete. And uh, the meteorite that we mentioned in the plot summary comes down from the sky. And in this instance, the only person who directly witnesses it is the can man, uh, who is, of course, uh, man, my God, like the innovation. He, he is strapped like a, a, a cast iron pan or a skillet to yeah. his foot. And he's stepping yeah. on cans. I was like, that's ingenious. Yes. We, this man should not have left this world so soon. <laughs> His gift to humanity was taken from us. <laughs> no, I, I even noticed. I'm like, I took a note. I think it's in here somewhere. Uh, I don't know if you can hear my, my paper. Here it is. Uh, <laughs> I can't find it. Homeless guy, skillet. It's in there. Trust me. But I was like, wow. They even like, they zoomed in to the foot. In the skillet, I'm like, what some if- somebody in the prop department. Was oh yeah, themselves. They loved it. Either that, or they found a legit homeless guy, and he just had that, and they're like, oh, we gotta film this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's he's collecting cans and stuff, and he's got a really awesome dog with him. And then yeah, a object falls down from the sky, and uh, it crash lands only a few hundred feet away from him. In the original film, uh, Stephen McQueen and his date uh, saw the thing fall, and it happened to fall near like a, a man with a cabin in the woods is home. And uh, so we had multiple people witnessing the thing. In this version, though, just the old man sees it. And he marches out there. And uh, Nick, you, you remember the, the breakdown of, of, of how we get our, our introduction to Deblab? Deblab. Um, I think he just walks up and he pokes at it. And it's yeah. encapsulated in like a, uh, just it, you can't even tell really what it is. Just a, it looks like a meteorite. I, I think we determined that that was probably not the right thing, but we're going to say it anyway. Um, and he pokes at it, and then all of a sudden, it just the it just latches onto him really quick, and he's like, "Ah!" Yeah, the 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 restraint shown uh, is part of why this uh, some of the early sequences in this movie just really wrecked me as a kid. Is because like it's it's I mean coming back to Jaws, uh, this is this is how you get under people's skin. It's it's not having you know cat. <laughs> it's not having a cat jump out of a locker that that pisses you off it's like son of a bitch <laughs> you did that on purpose <laughs> that's not what that's not what genuinely instills fear in people what does is building tension and setting right. things up where it's like atmosphere I, I, know, yeah. I know something bad's coming and yep. the longer you can stretch out that beat and not have it be aggravating the better it's going to be the juicier it's going to be and in jaws just those sequence those seconds leading up to quint getting bit like that that's just just sheer terror like like, because you easily could have just had the shark come out and eat him and you know it would have got the job done it would have been the same as what's present in the script but just having those additional seconds of him struggling and and succeeding and preventing his own doom that's that's where genuine that's when you get on the edge of your seat and you're just like (gasps) because you know what's happening you just don't know exactly when and when it happens it's it's usually bad but um in the case of this what we have is the, the, like a long like not drawn out but we have a, a long setup to it where we see that we see the meteorite crash land the movie's called de blab so we have an idea of what's in the meteorite and yeah it's just this molten mass like yes. just a rock basically yeah. that has like a, a divot cut into it with some some sort of goopy something or other moving in there so we, strawberry jam we, yeah 
Yes, it's strawberry jam, even in the 88 version. But yeah, the old man, uh, by the way, fantastic dog acting. This dog is like perched at the edge of the crater. It's just, it's being a good old, good old pup. He's not going into that crater though. He's on the edge, but the old man like pokes it with a stick. And this is like almost identical to the 1958 version, but he pokes, he pokes that with a stick because, you know, this is America. This is what we do. <laughs> like, I don't know what that is. But I'm, I'm a poke, poke it. I'm a poke. I got a poke it. <laughs> uh, never forget. Um, the Angry Beavers, Nick. Did you ever watch that Nickelodeon? I show? sure as heck did. Okay. Well, uh, do you remember the character Oxnard Montalvo? Oh my gosh, you're 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 pushing my brain right now, man. Uh, okay. All right. Well, let, let me get you up to speed. So Oxnard Montalvo, the Angry Beavers on Nickelodeon. Uh, they had a thing. They liked B-movies. They watched a lot of black and white horror movies from the 1950s. They were all fictionalized, like, in the Angry Beavers universe. But there was, like, a Halloween episode or something where they, like, joined the reality of one of their black and white B-movies. And they got to hang out with Oxnard Montalvo, who was the star of these movies. And I don't remember the context at all, but this quote has stuck with me over the over the decades. And it's just, I need to know what it is, how it works, and if I can break it. <laughs> and, I like, and I was like, America. <laughs> I'm, I'm Googling it. Those are the three things that, that any, any, any self-respecting man with Kevin Dillon's <laughs> hair needs to know about anything under the sun. You know what it is, how it works, and if I can break it. <laughs> so yeah, that is the old man's approach to this, this meteorite. Uh, to poke it with a stick. Um, and then the biggest fucking snot ball you've ever seen, the most disgusting. It looks like a wet diaper. Uh, Word. Covered in mucus and gack. Lots of gack. But this predates gack. Um, and he, he picks it up on the stick like a fucking asshole. <laughs> it's like, buddy, it's moving. And it Don't looks... It touch looks, it. It looks ungodly, and it looks like it stinks. Like it just—it looks ugly. Like you know, I don't want that thing anywhere near me. I never thought about it. I don't know what it smells like. I never thought about the smell, but you're probably uh, right. It probably well, smells terrible. Especially in this version of the film, you don't want to know because the blob in this movie is hideous. It is unpleasant to look at. It looks like it looks la- sickly. Later, the blob it, looks sickly. <laughs> la- later, I feel like it does look like intestinal, almost like insides turned out yeah it has texture to it which was was a very conscious decision on the part of the filmmakers that i i think pays off because it it is deeply unpleasant to look at it 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 is not a a smooth slick glob like (laughs) in the first film like in the 58 version where it's literally a hunk of jello no it's got texture to it it's veiny it has vascularity i don't want to look at that It's like pink on the outside, purpley goop on the inside, but you can look at it like not every spot is the same. It, yeah. It's really it's really good. And it has a texture to it that almost looks like muscle tissue. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's meaty. <laughs> meaty. Don't Gir- eat it. It's girthy and meaty. <laughs> but yeah, this almost guy picks up the, the debrab. It's about the size of, I don't know, a football at this point. Um, and, yes, yes, yeah. And it's on it's on the stick, and uh, we just have this this close up where we see it just like jump, like it <laughs> slot it slides up the stick onto his hand, like in one frame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's real fast, and he lets out a, a unhappy yeah. scream. And we do this awesome jump cut where we go from him screaming 
to a kid slurping up cherry jello on his plate. Oh yes, I it's, it's about a that, fantastic yeah. cut yeah. where it's just like <laughs> it's a nice match cut where it's just like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we were introduced to Meg's family, like her her mom with uh, the Rocky Three haircut, um, <laughs> and her brother who is an asshole, and his friend who is also an asshole but even yeah. more of an asshole. They're both little asshole kids. And I I asked my wife when we watched this. I said. Which one of these do you think is going to die? <laughs> well, actually, that I'm glad you brought that up because that that is something this movie gets bonus points for. Child yep. death, yeah, on screen. Child death is something you do not get in cinema very often. Just bring on the what? Sub, what oh gosh, the word subversion is that it? <laughs> I mean, it, it's a form of subversion, yeah, because it subverts your expectations. In yes. that, in most instances, children are off limits. Yeah. dogs are absolutely off limits especially in this country uh if if you're gonna do something bad to a dog you have to build the entire narrative around that like you can't just you just you can't just absentmindedly place like violence and cruelty to animals or dogs in particular in an american film you gotta build the narrative around that we have we have a fourth john wick movie coming up. he's <laughs> killed really? he has killed about 1500 people over the one dog <laughs> And everybody's okay with it in this country because that's how we work. <laughs> oh, good. It's justified. It's fine. It's justified because a bad thing happened to a dog. So now now an entire country's worth of people got to get shot. <laughs> it, you know, back at Meg's house, I'm just thinking the coat. I remember the coat coming into play later. It's yes. like how many setups are in this movie? There, I feel we like actually, there's so we many. We skipped a couple. We actually oh my gosh! Uh, so Kevin Dillon, after he uh, rolled his bike, uh, he he laid it down uh, when he went off the bridge and failed to jump it. Um, so he walks into town, and uh, by the way, the sheriff is not happy with him. Uh, he's a he's a delinquent, and he's a bastard. Hey, there's always there's always the one person in the town that gets everything. They're always blamed for everything. They're no good for nothing. You know. That's actually kind of cool in this movie is that uh, in the in the 58 version, it's it's more just there's a stigma against teenagers, just like there's there's a generational conflict. Yeah, I guess you're right. Whereas in in this one, it's more he's an outcast. The town functions very well, except with him, like like the football star and with Meg and like the sheriff and the waitress. Everybody seems really hunky dory, like everybody gets along. This town's great. Except for when you don't play ball. Like, except except when you wear leather jackets and have big hair. Motorcycles and weird hair. And, yeah. and, and say to blob, that's it. Sheriff, I seen to blob down the street. <laughs> God, Kevin Dillon would have gotten so many brownie points with me if he said the blob like every line in this movie. <laughs> just just completely cause it to lose all meaning. Just constantly say the blob throughout the movie. Um, but yeah, we, we do have an episode where it's like it's made very clear that he is not well-liked in town, at least by the adults anyway, because he doesn't know his dad, his mom sleeps around, and he's got big hair and a leather jacket. Um, oh. But we have this beat where he goes to his buddy's place, uh, like the repair shop, like the mechanics shop, um, which is a like it is a setting in the original film. Um, but this is where we're introduced to the snowmaker. Um, the, oh, we yep. actually have lines of de- dialogue dedicated to uh, his friend, Kevin Dillon's friend, uh, saying, yeah, I've been contracted to repair a bunch of these snowmaking machines and and uh, like snowmobiles and stuff because this is a ski town and yes. we're getting ready for the season. But Get it's ready. unseasonably warm right now, 
which if you're familiar with the blob's weakness is not does not bode well for the future of this town point is we actually have it set up we have a snow making machine in this garage that kevin dillon is aware of because the guy is keeping his beers in there he's using it as a refrigerator <laughs> right now um but also in addition to that kevin dillon also borrows a ratchet set from him which he says i'm going to use to repair my bike he doesn't get to do that until a little bit later but the point is he still has that on him and he uses it later to unlock the back of a van to escape mm-hmm. so it's, it's all planted and paid off <laughs> And so there, there's tons of these throughout the movie, but the, that one in particular was kind of ingenious. Just the ratchet set and the snow, the snow machine, having him a re- giving him a reason as to be as to how he is aware of that. And my wife was. Uh, this is going to sound really terrible. It's going to sound like we're 80 years old. My wife crochets, <laughs> so she's sitting here crocheting while I'm watching this movie, and she picked up on that that the truck, the snow, whatever it is. And I'm just like. How did you even hear that or were paying attention? So it, it really is amazing how many setups and how many like small little details they have throughout this movie that always seem to pay off or they're always setting up something. Like you said, it, it should be fundamentals, but it, it's not always the case. And you just go back and you watch it. And it's like, I appreciate that. I got it. I'm stupid. And I saw what you did there. <laughs> no, it, it really shouldn't be an impressive feat. And yet it always is. Yeah, and it's always appreciated because it it makes it just it brings an internal logic to the proceedings that makes makes it feel warranted and makes it feel makes it feel earned. Yes. Um, By the way, my my girlfriend crochets as well. Um, Does she really? Oh, yeah. All the time. (laughs) Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah. She made me a blanket. You can kind of see it's the blue thing. Yeah, no, I do see it. Yeah, Yeah. my wife, she's making like hats all the time. And you can cut this out or keep it in. I don't care. She makes hats. I tried to make her. I said, you need to make me a Yoshi, a Mario Yoshi. And she she rage quit. But I told her. <laughs> <laughs> well, my girlfriend made herself a, a Rex from a Toy Story hat. Okay. So that, yeah. That's like halfway to a Yoshi. So I bet yeah. I bet she could pull it off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's got the stuffing and everything. But <laughs> someday, someday you'll have a Yoshi. <laughs> I believe I believe in I believe in your wife. <laughs> um but yeah, that being said, um the the fella now has the blob on his hand. Uh and then we have a situation where all of our parties kind of converge. So we have Meg and Paul who picked her up at, at her parents' house, and uh, this is where the jacket is set up where her younger brother uh is scheming to go to the movie theater with his friend. Um, and before he's allowed to leave the house, though, his mother insists he put on a jacket. And then we see the mom have uh, some difficulty uh, doing up the zipper on the jacket. Put a pin in that. Yeah. And we also get a, a, a payoff to the uh, the condom joke earlier in the form of Paul being introduced <laughs> to the father, uh, the pharmacist. And uh, we have this reveal where the dad's in his, his cozy, lazy boy. He's got the paper. And then he pulls down the paper and the camera, like, zooms into his face and it's it's comedic gold. Like all he it does, is. he just it's he, very he just good. he just gives this look, and all he says is ribbed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you could have had so much more there, but I'm so glad they didn't. Like that's yeah. all you needed, oh. just that guy's face and just ribbed. <laughs> yep, that's all you needed. But even even my wife recognized his um, his face. She's like, oh, I know that guy from somewhere. Like, yeah, that's just one of those guys. 
Yeah, he, he is one of those guys. Like I said, he plays a lot of football coaches, uh, <laughs> a lot of assistant coaches, not not the head coach, the assistant coach. Um, but yeah, uh, Meg and Paul uh, are driving around, they're driving around, driving around. <laughs> I can't stop! <laughs> New guys in the back puking his guts out. <laughs> <laughs> that was my my favorite scene throughout the whole movie my brother and i we would rewind it and watch it over and over again in comes the meat wagon <laughs> uh yeah so they're driving along they're driving along driving along and then oh it's not a truck tire it's a homeless man coming out of the woods with some blab on his hand. Uh, no big deal. Let's just keep going. No, yeah, they kind of like... they, they hit him a little bit. Like they hit him just hard enough that they feel responsible. Uh, yeah. It actually it didn't get him that bad. But the point is, he's got some like as, as Kevin Dillon's careful. He's got some corrosive shit on his hand. Some corrosive shit. No. <laughs> That's a big word, Kevin Dillon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so kevin dylan like happens ac- ac- upon the old man and kind of like he's trying to help him like he's yeah, actually trying he's to be being, a good guy but, yeah he is yeah but the old trying- man's just kind of like flipping out and running away by the way the old man tries to cut his own hand off yes i forgot about that, that was, part that was icky like that was yeah. eerie like yeah. just something about like the sheer panic and terror in the man's face like it, good performance from this guy but he he has a hatchet he we see him run out at kevin dylan and I could totally see Kevin Dillon's character thinking the guy's trying to hurt him, but instead yeah. he hacks his own wrist, and we see it draw blood and like get halfway through the bone, but then the debrab like Deb-lab. actually just like proceeds further up his wrist and covers the wound, so it's preventing him from amputating, uh, basically. Yeah, and I, I remember that. Well, I actually didn't remember it until I rewatched it. And I was like, "Dang!" I'm like, "Yeah, that's a link that you're willing to go to to cut your freaking own hand off just to keep." I mean, if this you got thing. some corrosive shit on your hand, he's <laughs> <laughs> do whatever it takes, bro. It's just you could just say the blob. Just just say it's some sort of blo- blobby. I don't even think he would say blob. He would probably say blobby. Hey, yo, blob. this guy's got a blob on his hand. <laughs> Get some help. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, the old man gets hit by the car, and uh, the 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 young couple uh, they they get out of the car and they decide to escort him to the hospital. So they they load the old man up in the back seat, and uh, we have this this kind of cool beat where Kevin Dillon and Paul uh, they have like a little standoff, like they have a little bit of a oh, yeah. contest. Yeah, and we see that like, careful, Kev, this guy's got some inches on you. <laughs> He's a little bigger than you, bud. <laughs> So the first time that you watched this, yeah, what what were your thoughts? What where was your mind at? Where you're like, the jock is our good guy, Dylan is the bad guy. What what, what were you thinking? So if I'm being a hundred percent honest, um, I this was a I don't know if this was ever intended to be a swerve, um, but I I never for a second was invested in the Paul character. Okay, I, n- I never I never actually thought he was going to be our protagonist. Oh, like, I, I think I think I knew enough that just by looking at Kevin Dillon's character and by the fact, just by the cinematic language of having an entire scene dedicated to his introduction in isolation, and by him being framed as the bad boy, I kind of like. By this point, even together, when I was yeah. even when I was like eleven or twelve, I I still knew like Kevin Dillon's gonna he's gonna be around till the end of the movie. This other guy, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I I would not be surprised though if a lot of people were caught off guard by that. Um, so for me, it was never a swerve. It's not like it was spoiled for me. It's just somehow I, I read the 
the tea leaves or the breadcrumbs that they laid down. I just kind of figured it out. I guess at this point I was kind of like, cause Paul, he, you know, give him credit. He was going on a date with this girl. He asked her, he was trying to be respectful. He hit the homeless guy. He's willing to take him to the hospital. He confronts what's his face, uh, the blab. He's like, Hey man, you can't go anywhere. You got to come with us. Like, I feel like he's doing all the right things. See, um, you you picked exactly the right time to bring up this topic is because I think this is the scene that if you were at all on the fence, this is the scene that explains it to you who's actually the star of this movie. Oh, it's because the tone of this of this confrontation kind of frames Paul as a little bit of a dick, like not 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 an outright dick, but Mm -hmm. like bear with me. Like I know you like Spider Man. I know you like Spider Man, Nick. But (laughs) are you familiar? Are you familiar with the X Men though? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, Cyclops dick. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Cyclops gotcha. type dick. Where he, he's the guy you want when you want to get shit done. But yeah, he's not, the goody. He's not, he's not your buddy. Yeah. He's not there to be your pal. So he, he kind of comes across as a little bit of a tool during this exchange. Gotcha. That makes more sense. Okay, and, and so. And it really isn't clear. Like, he's he's very, like, wholesome and kind of seems like a stand-up guy. In, including you know loading an injured old man to the back of his car and like not even hesitating like he's just like yeah that's what we gotta do mm-hmm. but during this confrontation with kevin dylan he does come across as like oh he's got an edge to him mm-hmm. he's not re- he doesn't like outsiders he's he is very much a townie i guess Say, yeah same as the town basically yeah. yeah um but yeah they they head off to the the hospital which is uh, a decent distance from the town uh, and it's really funny, actually. The the doctor in this hospital uh, is played by Jack Nance, uh, who I wish uh, Kyle was on this recording because Jack Nance is a uh, one of David Lynch's good buddies. Uh, he was in Eraserhead uh, and uh, Twin Peaks and many of his other projects. Uh, he, pa- I I think he passed away. Uh, yeah, he did. Um, but he has a very small role in this. But it's just kind of funny that this whole movie. Just the the layout of the town and some of the characterization has a little bit of a Twin Peaks vibe to it, and it's just funny that he's here for like two lines of dialogue. He's just there. This this hospital, I wrote down. I said this is the worst nurse ever at the yes. reception desk. Yes. And then I said this is the worst doctor ever. I, I I felt like I was. It was like this is crazy. Like these people are terrible. <laughs> I feel like, like I feel like there is some theming going on with the sequence because there there is something to be said for how these how the staff at this hospital behave. Like they're yeah, terrible. They because are because we we have a man with some corrosive shit on his hand. <laughs> yeah, it's a blob. Yeah, it's a fucking blob. <laughs> like step on the gas, but no, we have like when we're introduced to the nurse in the lobby, she like says, "Hold on a minute." And she's just like casually, just like, <laughs> just like doing up a folder. Check like, my Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's around. the equivalent. Like she's, yeah. just, she's like catching some Pokemans, you know? <laughs> so hang on. I got a squirrel here. Hang on. <laughs> Gonna be a minute. But yeah. She like gives them that treatment and she takes her sweet ass time uh, and they have to fill out all sorts of paperwork. And meanwhile, this man has some corrosive shit on his hand in the lobby and he is in agony. And, <laughs> And then they just put him in a waiting room and just kind of leave him there. And I think I think there is a little bit of a statement here in regards to, I don't know, just how people from outside of society are treated. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, there's even like a line of dialogue dedicated to the, the nurse kind of rolling her eyes about like, does he have insurance and stuff? It, like, 
the way they treat this guy is kind of horrible, given the circumstances. They're they're very negligent uh, in their handling of the situation. No, they really are. It's just like I almost thought about it too. I was like, but dang, would that happen today? Like, if something were to happen to anybody, is that all they care about? It's like, does this guy even have insurance? It's like, is is that what this is for? Is that what the hospital is for? Yeah, it's it's funny because like it, it's. I don't want to go on a big long tangent, but I no, just want to. No, no. I just want to point out that uh, for some reason, this particular setup uh, always creates like an eerie sensation to me. Like the idea of a yeah. very a very small problem that probably could have been addressed much more cleanly, spiraling out of control. Uh, it it makes it extra unsettling. Uh, at yeah. least for me personally, like when you when you get to witness, like oh, it's only because a lot a lot of people fucked up that this got this got so out of hand, um, and yeah, this is one of those things. It's like maybe if they had gotten wind of the fact that there's a blab afoot, <laughs> they could have done something about. It. In fact, in the in the 1958 version, the doctor is is more involved in things, um, except for he makes the foolish decision to kind of like almost like study the blob a little bit. Whereas the doctor in this one, the Jack Nance character, is totally negligent. He doesn't even really take a look at this guy until it's way too late. Yep, too late. <laughs> Same with the nurse, in fact. I, I think this is her only scene. But um, we get a passage of time after the old man is laid down on a, a, a bed in the waiting room, and we get to see the yeah. young teens like filling out paperwork on his behalf. Meanwhile, we have like some shots of the clock and some dissolves, uh, transitions in the editing showing that they've been there for a minute. <laughs> yeah um, almost, and nobody's done anything <laughs> no almost to the point where you're like why would you like call her parents or why wouldn't she ask to go home i don't think the date is salvageable at this point but i mean she kind of tries to play it off as like it's okay <laughs> <laughs> i want to go home <laughs> yeah i want to be in a hospital waiting room filling out paperwork yeah, can I have a Diet Coke? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's what causes Paul's death, is going for that Coke. <laughs> it's her fault. It really it's is. It's all her fault. Uh, by the way, Kevin Dillon did go with them to drop off the old man, and he does have a moment that uh, yeah. Yeah. Shawnee Smith notices that he's very kind to the old man, like easing him into the wheelchair. He's like, I'm yeah. going to take care of you, old man. You're going to be all right. Like, <laughs> like we see that he's he's an okay guy. He's yeah. He's rough around the edges, but he has a good heart. Um, but he bails immediately after that. The only reason he went with them is so that they wouldn't blame him for what happened. Right. Um, so he's not present. But anyway, Paul is asked uh, to retrieve a Diet Coke <laughs> for Meg. Uh, and yeah. in doing so, he heads uh, deeper into the hospital and he notices uh, there's some movement in uh, on, on the uh, the old man's person under uh, under the blankets. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Uh, so instead of going to the Coke machine, he heads into the into the waiting room and uh, he uh, he sees the old man. I think the 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 old man's eyes are, are pure white at this yeah, point, and yeah. his head rolls over, and we see like, uh, yeah, he's he's not looking good. Like nope. he's he's very much an ex person at this yeah. point. He, he uh, did. Yeah. So uh, Paul runs back and he gets Jack Nance. And he's like, "Yo, Doc, you gotta do something." Um, so he brings him back in there, and then we get the reveal. Uh, we get the the blanket pulled off of the old man, and after minutes and minutes of of buildup, like of, of like what's under the blanket, uh, what did you think of the payoff here, Nick? That was really good. The I was just even watching it the other night. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Just the 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 it's, burning effects that grizzly. they do. Yeah, like it's half a body. 
uh, for sure. Uh, we got half a homeless man now, but I'm just like, wow, this is really, it's still good. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it actually makes me think of uh, arachnophobia. Have you ever seen that one, Nick? Yep, I have. Yeah, I, I love that. Movie. I hate. I fucking hate spiders, but I love that movie. I don't know. Yeah. I, that doesn't add up at all, and yet it just does. It's the same thing. It's the same concept. It's this thing that small comes town. to the small yeah. town. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad it brought up because you're absolutely right. Yeah. The for the format. Yep. It, it's very much borrowed from a movie like The Blob, um, and that's probably why that movie's so charming to me. Uh, thanks for pointing that out. I didn't put that together until just now, but yep. um, I, I love that movie. But um, very similar to the beginning of both movies, uh, the way that the the way that the spider from Arachnophobia arrives in that town is uh, it's via a casket, and then when they un- when they unveil the body in the casket, it, it looks like they say like a thousand vampires are taking chunks out of it. It's because that spider's been sucking them dry for weeks in transit, so it's That's- like. Similar case with the blob where it's like, you know, that thing that was the size of his hand. This is what happens when it has, you know, two hours in a waiting room to do its thing. It has food. Yeah. Yeah. So it took half a man. Um, And so everybody's kind of panicked. The doctor's like, you know, as much as I want to, (laughs) (laughs) as much as I want to ignore this, I don't think I can. (laughs) It's like, he's with a patient too. He's like talking to some old lady in his office. He's like, yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Paul, though, uh, he's he, you know, there's a lot of adults in the room, but Paul's the only seemingly responsible one. Yeah, he actually dips into the doctor's office uh, and hops on the phone. And I really like this phone call because I think he calls the sheriff. Yeah, but he rela- he relays a couple of really important points here, and the most important among them is like we got a dead guy here at the hospital, which gives the police a reason to be heading there that way immediately. But on top of that, he also mentions that Flag yeah. was there, and he thinks Flag is responsible for something. So that plants the seed in the authorities that, oh, that 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 kid with the big hair, he's up to no good again. <laughs> that kid with the accent, he's up to no good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, this, folks at home, we've been hyping it up the entire time we've re- been recording. Um, this was the scene, like th- this was the scene in this movie that just destroyed me. Um, when Paul meets his doom, uh, the setup for it is excruciating in that it, it they really stretch out the tension because like Paul's just on the phone, he's he's being a responsible dude, and we just see behind him this little this blobby crawling up the wall, <laughs> and like it kind of bumps the door, which like slowly starts closing behind him, and like just like as a visual cue that something bad's about to happen to this kid, and it, it uh, crawls up onto the onto the ceiling above him. And uh, like a like a jellyfish kind of, it just kind of like blows up like a like a parachute and envelops him entirely. So it just like mm-hmm. drops down on him like a net. And then we do a hard cut away, and we hear him screaming. And uh, Meg hears the screaming, and she runs from the the waiting room into the doctor's office to see what's up. And good fucking god, <laughs> good god, like the visuals of this. Yeah. Oh no, just like. This movie is very gory, but this sequence in particular, something about it is just next level. Like, it, it makes me squirm. Well, <laughs> and you said he screams, but it's worse than... Well, he does scream, but it, even beyond that, when he's enveloped in it... There's a barrier preventing yes. the sound from entirely getting out, and it's just this muffled... Oh, God. <laughs> it's just, and, you oh, know, it's, it's, this, it's this vital young man... 
that we saw him doing feats of athleticism earlier, and now he's just completely helpless and being dissolved on camera center frame for for all to enjoy. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm thinking about it, and throughout the whole movie, I think this is the longest time we spend with the blob having some somebody enveloped. It is. I think it is the longest time. It it is, and I've I've pointed this out. Like I use this as an example in discussions about movies and and horror movies in particular. Uh, your your first kill, or at least your first on screen kill, is usually a tone setter, and you need to make a statement. And the important thing with with the first on screen kill in any monster movie in particular is that it's meant to plant the seed in your audience's mind as to exactly what meeting your doom at the hands of this thing entails it's not just that it it kills you it's like it's not pretty like this like every single person you see die in this movie like if if it's not explicitly shown to you what happened to them just keep in mind this is what happened to them even if it looked quick in the film like in the reality of of the blob universe this this is meant to signal to you like keep in mind this happens every time <laughs> and yep. like deep deep rising is a very good example of that where uh have you seen that one nick oh yeah i love deep rising yeah that was a very early episode of catching up on cinema and one that kyle actually still brings up from time to time he's like oh. i'm really i'm i really enjoyed that i'm glad you we know, watched that i'm gonna talk crap about him while we're here again oh, don't uh, do that <laughs> well you know i feel like he purposefully did not watch certain movies and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, this movie's so cool. It's fun. I just, you know, I just like those kind of movies where it's just like fun sci-fi or action or whatever it may be. But he was just kind of like, no, it's stupid. I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> and now he's watching them and he's like, oh, these are good. Like, yes, I know. I well, told you. Obviously, I don't know your brother as well as you do. However, I do know that when it comes to sci-fi, he's he takes it pretty seriously. Well, like he he has a refined palate. He knows what he likes, and he doesn't like to taint it with with crap, you know. And, and he now, granted, he knows more about movies than I probably ever will. So, yeah. but uh, Deep Rising though was one that he he and I like. I introduced it to him, but like he he had a lot of good things to say about it. In fact, it it kind of planted the seed for like future treat williams films reviews <laughs> <laughs> like and so i'm kind of itching for that someday but anyway in, in deep rising uh the first instance of a, a proper on-screen kill in that movie is uh it is both shown to us and then explained to us uh, because we see the tentacle thing thrashing around they shoot it up and then it vomits out half of a person oh yeah half the guy yeah who is you know melting in front of them and then it's explained to us yeah. they don't eat you they drink you that's... So all that entire sequence is meant to remind you that every one of these guys that gets grabbed in this movie, this is actually what happens. Yeah. There's more to it than just the grabbing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Paul's death in this is just uh, it's an amazing effect sequence. It's actually much shorter than I remember it. In my mind, again, yeah. I saw this movie when I was very young, and it gave me nightmares for decades, uh, so I remember it quite well. Um, but the thing about memory is that it can be tricky sometimes. And I remember it being more drawn out. It's maybe four or five shots, but they're all highly calculated in how they're edited and how they're framed. And every single one of them looks impressive and terrifying. Uh, on top of that, we have him reaching out. Like, oh, yeah. 
yeah, he's he's reaching out for help. It doesn't matter who's there to receive his hand. He's just like, I'll, I mean, how the fuck could you have any idea what's happening at that point? Yeah. And then Shawnee Smith comes around the corner. And she actually grabs his hand. So she's like face to face with all this going down. And I never noticed it until this viewing because I was so fixated on the gore. Um, but on this viewing, I finally came to understand what what the logistics of this was. It's pulling him out a window. And, oh. and the reason why the effect is so grisly is that it's it's pulling against his face. Like yes. it's giving him like yeah, a facelift. Like, so it's yeah. like pulling the skin of his face back and peeling it off because it's corrosive. It's corrosive. Um, <laughs> but I never realized that because that's the that's the power of these makeup effects is that I've seen this movie like three times now um, at multiple stages in life. And it was only upon this re- this most recent viewing that I realized that was happening because I was just so transfixed on the awful thing in the center of the frame. No. And, and now that you say that, I think I've only watched this movie about a, a few times, but it's like almost everything is burned into my mind. Everything yes. is, is very memorable, but this is the scene where I, wa- I was watching it for the first time. And I was like, what is this movie? What's this about? And I saw this, jock paul get killed and i'm like what the heck is going on here like that's what (laughs) kept me going and invested i was like what am i watching what is going on what is this thing doing where like just all these questions and i was like i i gotta keep going it's it's interesting because like this is a this maybe doesn't work for everybody but in my case when i saw this for the first time again probably like 11 or 12 years old far too young um i i remember just being terrified of this moment and then instead of like leaving the room or turning the channel or something which i really wanted to for sure um i powered through it um and i was like fearful of of the things to come but then i realized oh that's as bad as it gets like yes. like like yes it no, is no 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 like horror sequence or, or gore effects in the movie measure up to this Mm-mm. they're all very no. good for the most part i mean there are some weird optical effects towards the end when things turn into more of an action sequence than anything yeah but in terms of like actual like horror material th- this is the benchmark uh for the rest of the film so once you get past the scene it's like it just kind of becomes more of a fun watch yeah um but to this day like like in the I was telling Nick before we started recording, like when I put this movie on, I was very tense as soon as they got to that hospital. Like I, I, cause I, I had the movie memorized or at least that chunk of it. And I was just like, I know it's coming. No, it's coming. It's going to be bad. <laughs> and then I had this very similar situation, right? As soon as it was done, I was like, Oh, okay. yeah, I can exhale now because I know, I know because I've seen it a couple of times now. It's like, I know I don't have to be worried anymore. That's as bad as it's going to get. <laughs> and, and you know, I'm curious to see what other people's movies are because it, it wouldn't be, it's not going to be the blob. It's not going to be jaws for everybody. It might be something else. It might be something we would never think of, but I know everybody has a, a, a movie like that. Everybody does. Um, and in my case, for whatever reason, it's kind of just this one. I have, I have scenes that scared me, but not, not ones that like haunted me. <laughs> and like, like I told you, I think before we started recording, I, I don't really scare like with movies. I, I, I look at them as, as works of art, as works of, you know, many crafts people at work. Like I, I have an analytical mind that I bring to things. So I, I don't really get scared of movies very often, but,
but this one just got me at the right time and really stuck with me. But yeah, Paul bites the fucking dust and then he did. Some. Um, and by the way, Shawnee Smith is left holding on to what's left of his arm. Just an arm. Yeah, just part of an arm. Um, and then the cops show up. She passes out, which makes I, sense. Yeah, I, I probably would too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the cops show up, and I don't know. They we don't get to see the part where they take her statement. Oh, it's it's alluded it's alluded to it numerous instances in the film, yeah. but it's actually kind of it's almost funny that they don't Jesus actually terror. talk about it because like I wonder what that interview was like. Yeah, strawberry <laughs> strawberry jam of some kind. It, it, it took him. Um, but yeah, she's carted away in a police car. Uh, she's taken home, and then I think we see that Flag is taken away as well. So they did apprehend him uh, because that phone call that was made before paul bit the dust yeah um but yeah uh flag is taken to the police station in for questioning and we're introduced to the sheriff and uh his sheriff's deputy we've already met the sheriff at this point the sheriff's deputy is played by the fellow who played emil in robocop Um, oh yes that's it i was like where have i seen this man this ginger man where have i seen him before yeah i know him from robocop he was in an episode of the x files and uh my brother pointed out to me a long time ago that he's in uh rocky 2 as a man in a full body cast that asked rocky to sign his head (laughs) (laughs) so i i have to assume he he's from like the pennsylvania area or something (laughs) but anyway this this fellow's from robocop Uh, he's no stranger to makeup effects obviously uh, because he's the melt man. From yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> he looks like he could have been in this movie. Yeah, for sure. He he probably stood in for the kid. Uh, <laughs> he has kind of the same look as the melt man, actually. Oh, he does. He really does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I'm trying to I'm trying to pick up the pieces here. So Meg is taken home. Uh, her uh, parents put her to bed. She doesn't take her sleeping pill, which almost feels like a nod to the Nightmare on Elm Street film. Yes. Which again, yeah. the director has a background in. Um. And then she goes off into the night to to find Flag because uh, probably in a nod to the Steve McQueen version, uh, the adults aren't listening to her about her story Uh. about the strawberry jam killing her boyfriend. Um, So she suspects that, you know, hey, that guy with the big hair, he seems like he's into some weird shit. Uh, Maybe if I tell him (laughs) about the strawberry alien, like the strawberry jam alien, he'll listen to me. Uh, So she actually goes down to the station like... There's a fun bit where she's like, I'm, I'm here to pay your bail. And she has a credit card. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I don't know about that. lady. <laughs> but they, they let him go. Uh, but she was planning on actually like paying, paying the fee to get him out. I, um, I and think- then he's like, I'm tired. I want to talk right now. I'm going to go get a sandwich. <laughs> just right across. The, just right like, over there. <laughs> right over there. <laughs> so, yeah, he walks literally across the street to the diner, which is still open, by the way. It's barely really at night yeah it's, it's it's closing time but he's got big hair so they let him in it's yeah. it, you know it, you can't talk your way out of that um but yeah the waitress is friendly with him uh so she says like you know the fryers are turned off <laughs> tommy boy again <laughs> tommy want wingy <laughs> so many connections revolutions it's crazy <laughs> i killed my sale <laughs> uh yeah um so the fryers are turned off. So she makes him a cold sandwich, um, which he eats. And then uh, Meg sits down with him. We have like a little bit of like bonding between the two of them where initially he's 
kind of like i don't believe i don't believe anything you're saying but they have a bit of bonding in the form of her like getting serious and i think he he teases her about the fact that i've never heard you swear before yeah yeah. (laughs) which i thought was actually kind of cute yeah i did i did laugh at that Uh, it's like they they have no relationship at this point so it's like you need to have a bit of just like fun dialogue here to give them a reason to relate to each other I think each one has like a different stereo, whatever you want to call it, like a different stereotype version of each other. Like yeah. you're the cheerleader, you're the weird guy that talks weird. And <laughs> no, we... you're you're absolutely right. They do have like a preconceived notion of yes. what what role the other one fills in the town, but then they realize, oh wait, we're both people, not cardboard yes. cutouts. Like we we can get through this. We just have to you know like put our guard down a bit. Did we skip the part? I don't know if we skipped it or if it's yet to come. Oh, the the date rape. <laughs> the date rape. Yes. The attempt. The attempted date rape. Uh, the, thankfully, uh, the the blob cock blocks him. Yes. Thank goodness, because I was like, this <laughs> Th- is, thankfully, <laughs> this man's trunk made me feel so uncomfortable. I'm like, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Paul's buddy, uh, the lecherous fella from the football team that was buying the condoms and blaming it on Paul, ribbed. Uh, he, uh, he he's his. out on a date. And uh, they actually, again, plantings and payoffs, they actually spent the time and the money to uh, fabricate a matte painting of of the view from their I, car. I loved it. It was beautiful. It, I loved they, it. they actually took the time to insert a shot of a hand-drawn matte painting of the hospital, which provides an explanation as to how the blob got to them so quickly. It's ingenious. It's so simple. But it's like, yeah. you know, just having that one shot of having her comment on the view and then showing us, oh, that appears to be the same building where we saw that awful thing happen to Paul. That's not very far away from here, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's he's a. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. His date is the the gal from Under Siege. That's um, yep. I knew it. I recognized her. Yeah. Yes, uh, I think the actress's name is Erica Eleniak, and uh, this would be Miss July or whatever from uh, yeah. Under Siege. She comes out of a cake. Uh, after taking way too many pills that Tommy Lee Jones gave her. <laughs> oh, man, that's sad. It's the second then <laughs> movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's uh, she uh, kind of gets tipsy or something. I don't know if he slips something into her drink ahead of time, but uh, she starts to like pass out a bit, and he's like, I'm going to head back into my trunk, uh, my, my, my fucking like, Batman utility belt of a trunk. Yeah, for real. Like, this is way too, like, that's way too much, man. That's a, that's a lot that you're he, doing. He's got a, a, vari- a wide variety of imported liqueurs, as he calls it. <laughs> um, and then we see that he has a cigar box full of, uh, like, class rings. So you can tell his, his, his ploy, his gambit, is to, to offer, you know, eat, every gal he goes out with his ring and then uh, slip him a Mickey or something. Um, thankfully, the blob intercedes uh, because he gets in the car and uh, he tries to cop a feel and then her face like, like caves in. It yeah. caves the fuck <laughs> in. And then uh, blob tentacles start coming out of it. And by the way, the coloring of the blob at this point is like translucent translucent like mucusy pink. Yeah. Um, later on in the film, it becomes more of a vibrant like neon magenta. Um, and I believe the explanation for this was that uh, it changes colors as it as it consumes more people. Yeah, uh, so it becomes bright, brighter and more like uh, organ or, or bodily fluid colored. But at this point, it's still kind of translucent. But this effect is really cool because like the blob literally comes through her to, to glom onto him. And the way they did this is very obviously they just like tilted the whole car set 
on its side and just like poured the blob goo on him mm-hmm. so it's just like using gravity like uh, rotating room effects are something that any director who's worked on nightmare on elm street film is certainly very familiar with um it's just a simple thing where it's just like well we got a bucket of goo it's like how do we make it like that onto somebody it's like well how about we just dump it on him <laughs> it's like yeah that's one way of doing it <laughs> well and and you 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 know you brought something up i completely forgot i told kyle i said yeah, I think you would like it just from a filmmaking perspective because I feel like they do a lot of different shots in here. A lot of different, I, I don't even know, like I'm just a, I'm just a guy. Uh, I'm here for fun. But I, I noticed some of the shots they do, they turn on the side, the phone booth scene, just like there's all kinds of different different shots I feel like they do within this film. I could be Aside wrong. Aside from the, the optical effects in the film, it's a very handsome film like it's very well lit uh a lot of the cinematography the camera's put in interesting places there's a lot of fun camera movement uh, it's a very handsome movie for the most part aside from some raggedy effects work yeah. towards the end but yeah. that's all that's all at the end mostly when it's more of just like a fun movie than a horrific movie or goes um, rambo yeah so at that point you're just kind of like i'm in this like I'm, I'm not i'm i don't have it in me to be critical of the movie in that fashion but yeah it's a very handsome movie um looking it up here and the cinematographer is mark Irwin, uh who if memory serves worked a lot with david cronenberg uh who also gave us the remake of the fly and many other handsome movies with a lot of effects work involved so he's probably intimately familiar with setting up effect shots and things like that okay cool. uh, but yeah you're absolutely right it's a pretty awesome looking movie a lot of times uh, but yeah thank you for thank you for uh, getting us to cover that bit that was certainly worth covering yeah uh, both both of the teenagers get uh, blobbed. Yeah, they're dead. They're totally yeah, dead. Yeah. They get blabbed. Um, and then we see the, the blab uh, go into a storm drain. And then we get another map painting showing uh, that it's going into a storm drain heading in the direction of the town. Uh, so the blob is underground in the sewer system, but it's headed towards the town while uh, Meg and Flag are in the diner. So keep that in mind. Um, and meanwhile, while they're schmoozing and like getting to know you and stuff, uh, the waitress goes back uh, into the into the kitchen of the diner, and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. the 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 sink is stopped up, and uh, uh. she starts to plunge it, but then her her buddy, her like the the cook, uh, the short order cook, he's like, yeah, I got this. You, you go you go do your thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go plunge this. So he foolishly tries to plunge the blab. You fool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the setup for this is awesome oh it's great yeah because like if you have a creature like this that can do like things of this nature this is the kind of shit this is the kind of imaginative shit that you do with with the blab because the thing it's it's gooey so it can it can do like an octopus and it can it can squeeze into anything it can squeeze under anything which is part of why i hate the blob it's fucking terrifying if you really think about it. It's like there's no escape. Like if you're in an airtight container, guess what? It's airtight. Well, I you don't can't think, breathe. <laughs> I don't even think. I don't even think its weakness will kill it. It won't stop it. It's gonna melt. Like I don't even see how it has a weakness. And that's that's why the the blob usually gets my vote as like one of the scariest yeah. creatures ever conceived. Because yes, the the only solution is not to eradicate. It's to simply remove. 
Yeah. And that that's not a viable solution in my book. It's like, no, oh, it's gotta die. Yeah, like kill I, it. I, no, I mean <laughs> remove lot, it. Lot, I mean, even if you shoot it into space, it's like there is a chance that's gonna land somewhere. It's it's like Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's like when they're trying to put the bomb case somewhere, it's like some kid's gonna find it. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> even even the German terrorists in Die Hard with a Vengeance, right? Some kid's gonna find that. Pick it up. <laughs> I don't want to ride with the bomb, it's like, but some kid will find it. And yeah, the blob is the same thing. Even if you launch that shit into space, some alien kid in some distant galaxy or some shit's gonna find it, and then they'll be fucked, and it'll be That's all right. your fault. <laughs> That's right. And the in blob. fact, the the original blob did have a sequel where exactly that kind of happened. Oh, where the end of the original blob is just a shot. Uh, it's like an animated shot of of some object in the distance being dropped from a chopper and a parachute into the Arctic. Oh. So they, they like landfill that shit basically. Well, I guess that's kind of how this movie ends then too. It's just like, it won't stop. Yeah. So it's, it is, it is not dead. We don't know of a way to kill it. It is merely removed out of sight, out of mind. But the sequel to that movie involves someone, you know, going to the Arctic and bringing back a chunk of ice that happens to have a piece of it in it. Not even like... the whole thing, just a piece of it. And you have a whole new blab. And now, guess what? There's potential for more blobs because the rest of it's still out there. This is why the blob is terrifying. I hate the blob. It gets under my skin, man. And just the, fa- just the fact that it like it doesn't have any like will. Like, it just does. It just does. Yeah, it just, yeah, it, it just is. It, the way it, I think of it is it doesn't really have a consciousness. It just thinks in terms of us, like me and the rest of the things that could potentially become me. Mm-hmm. So it's like in the Bob's mind, it's doing the Lord's work. It's like, it's like, well, we could all be one big happy family. It's like, it'd be way better if we were all, all me. Right. <laughs> well, you, you know, and I don't want to get off on another tangent, but I'm going to do it anyway. That sounds, it sounds very similar, similar to the thing. That's kind of what the thing is. I actually didn't know, but there was like a short story somebody had written from the thing's perspective where it's like, I'm doing you all a favor. I'm from, you know, whatever advanced civilization. I'm like, I'm doing you a favor. Like I, I, I can give you so much benefit if, if you let me essentially kill you and let you be a part of me. And that's kind of what the blob is. It's just like, I'm going to eat you and, you know, deal with it. It'll be better yeah, this way. Well, you'll be gone and there'll be more of me. Yes, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. And it's a concept that has always got under my skin. And in fact, I've noticed that it's a it's a theme that uh, James Gunn uh, revisits a lot in his filmography, like a lot, a lot, such that it's clearly an obsession because <laughs> Slither, same Slither. concept. That was on my list. I love Slither. Yes, I That's, remember seeing that on your list. I've only seen is, it the one time, and that is another movie that did creep me out a little bit, even though yeah. it's hilarious at times. It is, yeah. It's but funny. on a conceptual level, the concept of that monster is actually kind of terrifying. It is. It, 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 it's basically seeking to become a planet organism, just yep. like a, a web of, of flesh that covers an entire planet, basically. Holy cow, you're Again, right. Again, all, all of you become me or us. Um, and then, uh, what is it? Uh, the Suicide Squad had Starro, the starfish, who wants to create, wants to latch little starfish, starfishes onto everyone's faces and 
make a hive mind out of it, of the populace. Guardians two. Guardians two. Ego yeah. wants to plant his his essence yeah. across the across the universe and make everything him. Wow, it, that's clearly weird. it's an obsession. Uh, for yeah. Him. Um, and yeah, it is a concept that it gets under my skin personally. It it's creepy. So. It, rem- <laughs> it it removes like yourself. Like you are no longer you. You are something. You, you it, it's yeah. I, I get why because you're no longer you. You're just something else. Yeah, you're you're part of an organism basically, and you're and you don't have any sense of self or free will. But mm-hmm. anyway, the the blob doesn't really have an agenda. No, it just, no, it just, it just, it just consumes. Eats. Yeah, it just eats and grows, and that scares me. I don't like that. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the plunging, uh, good guy. <laughs> uh, so this poor guy, he's trying to plunge this drain, and then a tendril of the blob shoots out, latches onto his fucking face, and yanks him headfirst into the drain. And this effect would have been silly if not for the fact that we get this amazing shot of of this guy like with his head in the drain but then we see like part of his skull condensed down like and get sucked into the drain it's just like the bottom part of his jaw but just that one little like like jolt that it has to yank him in there uh it's amazing but then like everybody runs in the room because the wait the waitress sees this we don't see all of it but what we see is the shot from the drains perspective like from the basin of the sink it's just all these limbs poking out and blood spraying into the ceiling. The blood, yeah. I, I think the blood at the end sells it. And... Uh, the the bulging of the piping is what really sold it to me. Because like you're you're forcing a, a rigid bony structure into a True, very yeah. small drain. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just a demonstration of power uh, from from the blab. Uh, the yeah, blab. It, it, it sucks this guy down the down a like three inch wide drain hole. It's fucking awesome and disgusting yeah. um and it, then it explodes out onto the ceiling and uh we get to see that the blab the blab's got some hustle man it's got some juice because uh, it actually chases uh our 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 breeding pair our uh our megan flag it chases yeah. them down a hallway on the ceiling uh no less and they duck into uh the freezer uh which also happened in the 58 version of the film and this oh. is where we are relayed the the one weakness the one fatal flaw of the blob's design so is the weakness in in this one also in the original yep and as far as i understand every interpretation of the blab this is it's 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 one and only weakness and as we mentioned before doesn't even kill it it just stops it just stops it yes which again terrifying i hate that like you gotta be like even godzilla has been killed numerous times man yeah, no, it, it, it and also, and uh, spoilers, <laughs> it's man made. It, <laughs> that, I think that makes it even worse. It's something we meddled with, we made, and you can't even kill it. it, it you just have to slow it down. Um, but yeah, I, I remember, oh, there's even a strawberry jam scene in the movie. I totally forgot. Yeah, he, uh, he, it comes after they get out of the freezer. Uh, yeah, Kevin, they get Kevin out of the Dylan takes a swing at at a shadowy object and it ends up being a, a tin strawberry can. jam. Oh man, I killed the strawberry <laughs> jam. <laughs> Good for you, Kevin. <laughs> oh, but yeah, when they're in the freezer, uh, the blob tries to come in under the door frame because it can fucking do that. It can be, a, it can be big as a house and also flat as a board or flat as a paper. Um, but it recoils uh, when it feels the cold. Um, and also it leaves some crystallized fragments of itself in the freezer. 
Um, so our heroes take refuge uh, in the freezer. Meanwhile, our waitress lady is she breaks a window and just like hops out into the alley. She's just like, I'm shit, getting, I would too. I mean, what, whatever you got to do, lady. <laughs> um, I have no fucking clue what's going on, but you got to get out. In fact, I phone call not a good idea. Just hustle. Just go. Just, just go. Oh, Doesn't matter what direction. Just go. If she would have just ran instead of calling the sheriff. Yeah, uh, so it is 1988. I don't know how many phone booths were still in regular service. I would imagine still quite a few. It was 1988. But, yeah, there's a phone booth uh, just just perched aside the, the diner. So she sees that, and instead of running away, she uh, closes the door on the phone booth, uh, thereby shuttering herself in. It won't and, get uh, me now. <laughs> I, I liked her doing uh, her her uh, heavy breathing while she's getting out. She's getting out the sheriff's uh, business card so she can call him, and she's like, <laughs> 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 it's like she's about to do the Eddie Murphy Showtime. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> but um, she's trying to call the sheriff. And remember, uh, they had set up a date for she gets off at eleven. Eleven. Yeah. And uh, we saw him earlier at his office take a look at the memo that she wrote him on his check, and he's like, oh, shit. It's like, well, yeah. while I'm investigating this horrible murder of this old man and this teenage boy, I should probably go, you know, get some poontang. <laughs> <laughs> so he, she gets she gets uh, on the line with the receptionist at the station. She's like, oh, he, he's at the diner. Like, he went out to investigate the diner. So she's like, oh, no. And then the blob. <laughs> envelops yes yeah completely envelops the the telephone the phone, booth yeah, the phone booth. and uh oh this is where we get to see in ernst like the texture of the blab and it this is where oh. you, this is where i say it looks kind of like muscle tissue because it's got like veinage in it it has yes it has like like a, a texture to it that's really unnerving it's very goopy um and it's just like completely covering the phone booth and she's trying to shutter the door while she's trying to get this phone call in and just when she hears that the sheriff uh, had headed down to the diner we see his face inside the blab um and it's it's, a, it's like a puppet of his face but again this actor's facial structure is very distinct so it's very obviously him um and she's just like oh fuck i wanted to fuck him so bad <laughs> that's half of his face uh, <laughs> might as well just quit now <laughs> um but yeah the the blob ends up smashing into the booth and yeah. we get we get an awesome dummy shot yeah it's, it's, it's very, very clearly a dummy very clearly but, yeah but the weight and the force of the blob crashing into it 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 looks like she got pulverized <laughs> like like it looks like she got smooshed like yeah, real yeah. bad yeah it's pretty no. awesome I, I thought that was a cool shot and no you could easily tell it was a, a dummy but it but it yeah it was pretty it forceful it sells like this thing has it has power behind it and probably i i don't know maybe probably killed her on the spot there but i i think she got it easy like she yeah, got it she yeah. got a clean death she died clean <laughs> she died clean man from town white oh, man from death. town white woman from town <laughs> she knows all about death pie um but um yeah the blob uh heads back into the sewers around this time and our heroes uh retreat to safety um and this is where Del Close re-enters the film, and we see him bear witness to the blob going into a, a, the storm drain. And uh, this is where he gets his own sequence uh, dedicated to him exploring the diner, which is abandoned at this point. There's no one there. Uh, and he actually finds the crystallized frozen fragments of the blob and oh, places yeah, them yeah. in, like, a mason jar. 
Put, uh, so put a pin in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, I think, and this goes to our. Does would do we go to the movie theater after this? It's around. The, there's a lot that goes on here that kind of gets smushed together in my mind. The main yeah. thing is that uh, we're introduced to the government boys. Oh, I forgot about that. Uh, so our heroes, I forget exactly why they do it, but they head off into the woods to. Uh, oh, I think they're they're looking for Emil from RoboCop, the sheriff's deputy. Oh, and they're told that he went off to uh, where the meteorite had crashed, uh, where the homeless man was found, basically. And Kevin Dillon even has a line of dialogue saying, I never thought I'd find myself looking for a cop. Uh, So they're traipsing around the woods and then uh, a helicopter rolls up on them, blaring its searchlights. Oh, yeah, E.T. Yeah, I made a note about E.T. during this part. (laughs) Yeah, and we're introduced to a a bunch of G-men, scientists and soldiers, uh, all wearing like bubble boy outfits. Uh, So like hazmat suits with big bulbous helmets and and white gear. Yes, yeah. Um, And we're introduced to the character of Dr. Meadows, who... I love his uh, switch in demeanor from when he has his public face and then he has his in yeah. the te- in the tent face. Well, <laughs> and that's what I put in my notes. I put, oh, what a very nice, what a very nice government man. He's so nice and considerate. It's like, no, no, no. We're just gonna go right over here. Let me tell you all about what's going on. But then, as soon as they're out of the picture, everyone's expendable. Yeah, like all credit to this actor. He, he yeah, really a. Uh, uh, he did a great job. Joe Seneca, I think, is the actor's name. And, yeah, he does a fantastic job of switching because when he's yeah. initially introduced to us, he is a warm, cozy old yeah. man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he is. Like, man, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Let's hang out. Let's talk. What a, yeah, what a great yeah, guy. He is so kind and warm. <laughs> and then as soon as he heads into that tent and takes his helmet off, he is just, like, the coldest. He is mm. as cold as ice. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, and I also like the idea that you don't get this in these kinds of movies all the time, but it was actually kind of a pleasant change of pace to have have there be objections to to his philosophy yeah. on things. Where yeah, it's like it it would be very easy to just have all of these government people be bad guys. No, but it's mostly just him, honestly. And, no, and yeah. once he's out of the picture, spoiler alert, um, it <laughs> like they they very quickly pivot away from what he was planning. It's just like we realize things have gotten out of hand what what he wanted to do we can't possibly do so yeah. let, let, let's just like humans are humans let's, let's we're all in on humanity at this point uh regardless of what research could potentially come out of this uh but yeah our heroes get uh captured uh by the government people who are very very kind at first and then a little bit more forceful and a little bit more forceful until they're loading them onto an unmarked van. <laughs> it's like, uh, maybe maybe I have some objections here. Uh, Meg is mostly okay with it. Uh, Kevin Dillon, obviously, he's, he's not playing around. He can't do that. Uh, so he uses his ratchet set to hop out of the back of the van, and they have, it's almost like the rom-com format, where this is the part where the, the lie is unearthed, and they have to break up so they can come back together at the end. So, like, she has a disagreement with him, and he's like, I'm going to take care of myself. And she's like, yeah, that's the only thing you're good at. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you, you have a point there. Bye. <laughs> so he jumps out of a moving van. He tucks and rolls. And uh, I think he's going to just, like, pick up his, his motorcycle. But she stays in the van, and basically they're corralling all of the townsfolk into, like, the town hall, basically. And they're treating this as a biohazard. Um, the story, the official story from from these G-men is that 
uh, there's a biological outbreak of some sort, and we need everybody to quarantine in the town hall until we get this shit under control. Uh, meanwhile, Nick, you want to help me out in terms of like negotiating where we're at in this? Because I know there's a lot of business in the sewers, but oh, uh, we go to the town hall, and Meg catches wind of the fact that her brother's not there. Yes. And as it was mentioned earlier during the dinner sequence when she was introducing Paul to her family, um, it was mentioned uh, that her brother and his friend were headed to the theater. Yes. So yeah. Meg is aware of this, and so she, in the confusion, like her her dad is doing the dad thing, and he's chewing out some government workers, telling them about his how his tax <laughs> dollars pay their salary. <laughs> I want a point. At the man. <laughs> uh, so she uses that smoke screen to run away from the the quarantine zone and head off to the theater to retrieve her brother. Yeah. Um, and yeah this is yeah. where we get one of the show stopping sequences of the movie, which is again a direct reference to the original Blob uh, in the form of the theater sequence, which begins in the projector's booth and then heads into the theater proper. Um, so the projector, uh, the guy run the thing. Uh, there's a conspicuously large uh, air vent <laughs> behind it. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. <laughs> it's very, it's large enough to fit a person through. That's for sure. Very comfortably, in fact. And as I mentioned, this guy has a particular bone structure, uh, and uh, very clearly they had to do a, a full face cast of him. Um, and we see as he's playing the movie, uh, the, it's a really goofy, like I think it's called like Garden Tool Massacre or something. Yeah. Um, it's meant it's yeah. meant to look very hokey yeah he's got an electric like hedge trimmer and it's like you can't i don't even think you could kill somebody with that i think you can take some fingers off but it, there's not enough force behind it i don't think that you could kill anybody with it and it's electric like there's a wire coming out of it so you can only go so far so yeah you got you got to lure them to you it's like you can't hey, give come over chase. here, <laughs> yeah, come come over here. <laughs> uh, i love the line of dialogue from it there's a, a couple that are like making out in front of the guy with the hockey mask and the guy's like i, th I think it's a little early for hockey season <laughs> it's meant to be cheesy it's it's like yeah. a, a wink at like at the slasher movies that were in vogue at the time uh, you know one franchise of which the director of this film had worked on nightmare on elm street uh, so he's probably just like winking at his his previous films uh to some degree but yeah the kids are in there they're watching this the slasher movie and there's this guy with a trucker hat <laughs> behind them that keeps talking hey, watch this. yeah, yeah. <laughs> He won't shut the fuck up, and so it's like, put a pin in him. He's going to get it bad. <laughs> but the guy in the projector booth, though, we see he has a yo-yo. And he's, like, reading and doing a yo-yo at the same time while he's running the film. And then uh, he goes to investigate the air duct because there's no air coming through. It's fucking hot up there. And obviously he gets blobbed. Um, but then one of the ushers goes up to check on him. And uh, there's a fun little bit where projector guy's not there very clearly he got loved but where the fuck is he and then uh, a yo-yo drops down in front of the usher's face and he looks up and good god the blob is the ceiling um and it has the yo-yo man within it like about like two-thirds dissolved at this point uh and it pulls the usher up into itself and uh, he gets blobbed as well and then uh the redneck gets it next uh the kids keep turning around to tell him to shut up He's like, don't make me pound you. <laughs> <laughs> and then just a, a tendril just zips down. It just yanks him into the ceiling. Like, 
like one of those barnacle critters from uh, Half-Life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Y- yanks yeah. him directly into the ceiling and just like absorbs him yep. instantaneously. Um, and then it basically just like pours out of the entire back wall of the theater. And some of the shots here, like there's a kind of obnoxious strobe effect going on here. Oh, but, yeah. But somehow it gives it an atmosphere that heightens the effect. Like, it actually makes it look kind of cool. It's it's a little rough on your eyes. Yes, it is. But, but it really sells the illusion a lot better, I think. Like, this was done very consciously. But seeing seeing this massive blob, which is roughly the size of an auditorium at this point. It's quite large. Um, and it's take it's take it's kicking ass here like it just like delves into the masses and it's just it yanking scoops people. up people left and right yeah yeah and it's all it's happening so fast and unceremoniously to the point that's like whoa crap that escalated quickly yeah uh, but it makes a move for the kids just in time for meg to be getting at the theater uh and she runs in there and helps them get through like the emergency exit at the front of the theater um and meanwhile there's a fun little bit of like cool script stuff going on here just fundamentals again where uh the one kid's brother is an usher there which explains how they're able to see an r-rated movie as little kids um but on top of that the usher also bears witness to them being chased out of the theater by the blob and we have just like this one line of the of the usher being interviewed by like one of the government workers and it basically gives explanation as to how kevin dillon's character knows where meg is it's just like one of those things like why would you even think to do that but just including that it's like there's logic to this beast like Mm -hmm. it it moves it all makes sense it's like wow that that i appreciate details like that um yeah this is where the jacket comes into play uh where uh meg's brother's jacket gets caught in a door um, and they have a bit where they're like struggling to get his jacket off and get him off the door as the blob is like pushing against the door with such force the hinges are shoot like the the nails and the hinges are shooting out. It's mm-hmm. pretty intense, especially with a kid involved, two kids in fact, because his friends with them as well. Um, and it bursts out into the into like an alleyway and chases them down a manhole. And uh, there's a, this is where the usher sees them through the window going down into the sewer. And uh, there's that bit where it's like it's got its tendrils coming in through the holes in the manhole and it grabs Meg's hair. Yeah. It like burns. It's like, I even wrote that down. I was like, well, that's a really cool effect where they can have it like actually look like it's burning her hair. I was like, that's awesome. It's a subtle effect. And it's like one of those things that's like, it didn't have to be there, but no, it it didn't. Yeah. It it heightens the drama quite a bit though, because you know, this, this movie is pretty gruesome from time to time. It's pretty callous when it comes to just killing people off. And it's like, you know, we killed Paul, like in the worst way imaginable. It's like, is this movie going to kill Meg too? Like, yeah, no one <laughs> I mean, based on, based on what happens next. It's like, there are no rules, man. This is Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it burns off. It like tries to grab her by her hair, but it's, it's corrosive. So it burns her hair <laughs> off of her head. So it, uh, it's unable to grab hold of her properly, but she and all the kids fall into the sewers uh, and take off. Meanwhile, Kevin Dillon uh, gets the exposition dump. Uh, so he, uh, he is in the woods, and he's retrieved his motorcycle, but he's snooping on the oh, crash yes. site of the meteorite. Yes. And yeah, he's just like, he's doing some solid snake shit. He's, he's crouch walking, which is very hard to do. I don't know if you've spent all day doing that ever, Nick. Oh, I gosh. certainly have tried. Because I've of, tried. I've, yeah, I've yeah, tried I've, because the stealth game. Splinter Cell is the main reason. Metal Gear, I'm like, 
like, let me try that. I'm like, oh god, this hurts. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it it's fun. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, but yeah, it does it does hurt a little bit after a while. But yeah, thanks to Solid Snake, it's like <laughs> heel toe, heel toe. Just remember heel toe. Um, but yeah, he's Solid Snaking around this compound, and he's just snooping on all the guards and 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 Doctor Meadows, and he gets the scoop. Uh, so Nick kind of. Uh, let the cat out of the bag but you want to explain what the story is behind the quote meteorite the meteorite spoilers it's man-made and not only that they pull it up pull it up out of the ground i think it was the molten whatever rock thing that we saw at the beginning of the movie they pulled out it's got ye old property of usa on the side of it yep it's got an american flag on it it is man-made is made of like titanium or some sort of metal and it was apparently like a probe of some sort that was meant to be a a viral experiment of sorts now i think i was surprised when i saw that for the first time but but were you i know you said you were kind of like you weren't really surprised by some of the other stuff so i was i was young enough but i was young enough to the point where it didn't mean anything but i didn't suspect it ahead of time like like i i knew the blob as an alien because that was the origin of it in the original. Like I, right. knew, I just assumed alien and we all did. Um, so as, as a 11 or 12 year old kid, it didn't really mean anything to me. It's like, Oh, it's man-made. Okay. Um, but as an adult, this carries some weight to it where it's like, Oh, we fucked ourselves <laughs> real bad. <laughs> like that, Somehow that makes uh, it worse. <laughs> we made the blob. <laughs> <laughs> we, you don't understand doc. We made the blob. <laughs> At the end of the day, we are the blob. <laughs> Just imagine Kevin Dillon saying that, like, while looking at a sunset. Holding, oh gosh! Holding Shawnee Smith, like one arm around. Like yeah, one arm around. Yeah. Like, like, you know, at the end of the day, Meg, I think we, I think we all understand. We're all a bit of blob. <laughs> we all got a bit of blob in us. <laughs> oh shit! Cue orchestra uh-huh. and credits. <laughs> um. Yeah, so the blob in this was a a contagion that was man-made, and apparently the idea was we're going to put it up in orbit and see if that makes it worse. <laughs> like, see, yeah, see if, I, see I if don't it, know the ra- rationale behind it, but yeah, it's like, yeah, we made it, and it came back. It's definitely worse. I don't know why, but yeah, it's here. Yeah, they wanted to improve its killing potential. And they it succeeded. Yeah, uh, it it did succeed. Uh, it also changed its nature. The Doctor Meadows does mention that it changed its nature from like a virus to like straight up a predatory organism. Um, and there's also a, a throwaway line of dialogue that's actually kind of fun. In that uh, one of the other doctors mentions that its activity, its mutation, is probably what threw it out of orbit. So it was stable until it mutated, and it it just happened to fall back to earth because of that. Can you imagine something like that? Like something as simple as a virus, just like turning into like this strawberry jam that eats people. It's so silly, but yet at the same time, you're like, if it were to happen, that's what it probably would do. Just eat and consume. Well, yeah. I mean, a a lot of these uh, small problems blossoming into greater threats stories tend to 
begin with misunderstandings. Uh, a lot of times, like the most common example that comes to mind is something like, uh, say, Skynet or something, or like an AI scenario. Yeah, yeah. Where it's yeah. like a simple, th- it's simple logic where it's just like, well, I mean, this makes sense. Like, <laughs> it's, <just> like, <laughs> it's like, I mean, killing everybody on the planet makes sense. It's like, why? It's like, because you guys are yeah. fucking up the place. Yeah, you guys, <laughs> you guys keep like, killing each other. Yeah, you're you. making a mess of things. I'm making it better. <laughs> it's like, and same with like, like an organism or something where it's like, well, I mean, what better reason is there to exist than to you know get make more of me like mm-hmm. that that makes sense like, yeah. like the world could benefit from more of me right <laughs> it's, like, it's like therefore i should i should get bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger until it's all me and then what it's like well then i'll be really lonely <laughs> like yeah, i didn't it. think i yeah. didn't think this through to its conclusion yeah although but, it, it- Go ahead, Nick. <laughs> no, I was going to say, although it's silly and it's like, yeah, the title is The Blob, but it can be creepy if, if you think about it. I, I've i been saying this over and over and over again. I don't think you have to think very hard about it, Nick, to make it creepy. The, the Blob is, hands down, maybe the scariest monster that I can think of. Yeah. Just, a, just a, a goopy, unfeeling thing that just does the most awful thing imaginable to everything around it and and has no bones about it it's just nope. like nope that's, that's what i all, do it's like everything's cool to me i'm the blob <laughs> it's like i mean and if you shoot it it doesn't even think about it it's just like somebody somebody hitting me over there <laughs> like, somebody making noise back there it's like oh i better go eat them let me yeah <laughs> let me go eat it find out what it is oh it's delicious <laughs> It's probably not even delicious. It's probably just <laughs> it's probably just, yeah. imp- just impulse. Don't even care. Yeah. Ah, fucking blob. <laughs> Hate the blob. The blob. The blob. Um, but yeah, Kevin Dillon gets the scoop. And uh, by the way, uh, Robert Axelrod portrays the doctor who objects to Doctor Meadows's plan of uh, studying the blob and quarantining the people. Uh, do you know who Robert Axelrod is, Nick? No, I do not. That is quite uh, a name. Uh, it is. It's quite a quite a nose as well. He's, he has quite the bone structure. Um, I don't he think he British. is. I don't. I don't think he's killed on screen in this. But he he was no. a very prolific uh, voice actor. Uh, he has passed away, unfortunately. But hmm. uh, I don't know if you were a Power Rangers kid. Uh. But he was the voice of many Power Rangers monsters, but most prominent among which, of course, being Lord Zed. Oh really? Yeah, uh, he has I passed never... away, but yes, this this was the man who portrayed Lord Zed. <laughs> wow! And there was also a fun other uh, cameo I caught here—a uh, lesser cameo for sure, because Lord Zed is a high bar. Um, yeah. But, but I noticed uh, the one guy who gave Doctor Meadows the rundown about the uh, the sewer, like the layout. Oh yeah. He just has a couple of lines of exposition yeah. about a, there's a bunch of aqueducts under the city and stuff. Um, crazy Joe Devola from seinfeld um. <laughs> i was like i know him it's crazy joe devola <laughs> um hmm. but yeah lord zed was was a fun one though because i was like i that that's a familiar voice i've not heard since <laughs> um but yeah kevin Dillon gets wise to the the plan he's aware that oh no they're corralling all the people they're gonna do something bad yeah. <laughs> gotta stop the blab uh, uh, so yeah. he takes one of his ratchets and just bashes the dude's fucking helmet in i don't know if that guy lived <laughs> but kevin dillon that makes you a murderer um 
but he hops on his motorcycle and he takes off through the woods and this is where uh the truck that i had mentioned we see yeah. that a couple of shots preceding him heading to the broke like the collapsed bridge that he failed to jump earlier in the film and this time because there's no turning back he follows through and uh, we get a spectacular jump uh, it's a nice little uh, motorcycle stunt uh, there's also a truck flipping in the background of it which makes it doubly awesome oh yeah <laughs> it's like Isn't there a helicopter what? in there somewhere yeah, there's also a helicopter <laughs> providing extra light sources so it's, it's kind of an epic shot oh yeah it. yeah it's great for for something that's largely a monster slash horror movie uh to have like a spectacular action yeah. stunt like this it's kind of yeah. it's unexpected but it's more than welcome <laughs> yeah <laughs> I wonder how much the the wig cost that they had to put on the stuntman. <laughs> or actually, you know, it's a stuntman. I'm pretty sure they just had a guy that had the same hairdo. Probably did. <laughs> um, but yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Meg and the boys are in the sewer, and the blob uh, rolls up on them. It starts eating some rats behind them. Uh, that's, oh that's, yeah. That's, that's a neat bit where it, uh, yeah, like the one she's. I think Meg tells the kids like, stay clear of the rats. Because there's these rats floating on some flotsam in the sewer system, and then the kid says, "What rat?" Well, and, she, and she looks back and's like, "Oh, there ain't yeah. no rat." And, but there's another rat yeah. that we see get just like sucked under, and it's like, "Oh, fuck the blab!" <laughs> <laughs> so they take off running, and this is where uh, the movie goes full Thunderdome because uh, her brother's <laughs> friend just gets fucking ganked by the blab. He dead. He gone. He gone. Oh, he's, that, he's not. He's not just dead. Like, like. Oh yeah. They, they bring him back up. They yes. show you. Completely, and he, completely extraneous. Did not have to be there, but they done did it. <laughs> yep. He looks just like you said, the sheriff in RoboCop. He looks just like that. He really does. Because they pull him back up for just a second, and it's like. Ah, yeah. I mean, if you had applied the same sound effect, the same. <laughs> it would have been very much at home he looks very similar but but yeah they did not have to do that but somebody felt it was necessary um because yeah the kid gets yanked away and then meg jumps into the water to try to save him good mistake luck. Yeah. yeah mistake <laughs> <laughs> idiot um but then she's like just about to give up she's like well i tried you know so you you saw i tried <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, the kid pops up and he's like, his hair is melted off. His jaw is like dislodged. He yeah. is a mess. Everything's just deformed. Get, yeah. Yeah. It, this, this kid gets double fucked. <laughs> it's an especially cruel death to the youngest person in the film. It is. And that one, that one surprised me too. I'm like, dang, who is safe in this movie? No one. I, I've been saying it forever, man. I, I, I really appreciate that. Especially, especially for the blob because as i said the thing doesn't have an agenda it doesn't mm. have any malice they don't care so it doesn't it doesn't care it's like it's indiscriminate in what it kills so it's like if you're gonna have any monster kill kids it may as well be the one that doesn't take any passion yeah. in it like it doesn't it's just like oh you know he, he was the slow one <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like, get good kid oh <laughs> like, uh, but yeah the, the boy uh meg's brother uh, escapes and uh she can't fit through the storm drain but she tells her her brother to reunite with the family and then she's like she has this bit where uh by the way the uh the effect when the blob is like it makes like a mouth and it's like trying oh, to yeah. get up to her when, yeah when she's trying to climb out yeah 
I think the coloration of the blob uh, always creates some confusion in my brain because in, in this later stage of the film where the blob is not as scary and it's massive and, and like bright fucking pink, um, my my wires get crossed and I start thinking of Ghostbusters 2 a lot Yeah, because the slime in that movie has a similar coloration and I want to say some of the some similar effects technology was implemented um but yeah this this maw that it creates it looks like a i don't know an asshole or something <laughs> uh, it's it's really it's really nasty looking um yeah, yeah it, it, it's not one of the best effects but it's kind of cool looking and and we also see that there's like some soldiers in the in the sewer that yeah just investigating to come out. yeah they just happen to be in the area <laughs> what's going on here and they they get fucked instantly (laughs) but yeah meg uh manages to escape um kevin dylan like grabs her hand at the last second because she's like trying to climb up a slippery ramp as the blob's reaching out to her and he's got his motorcycle in a storm drain with her so they're like riding around the tubes um and he has to like do a a nifty stunt where he like rides on the side of the wall it it almost felt like like robin from one of the joel schumacher batman movies (laughs) or something it's like hang on i got some i gotta do something edgy (laughs) it's the only way i gotta do i gotta like dry my clothes kung fu style. oh yeah oh gosh (laughs) batman forever folks check it out um but yeah he he narrowly avoids the blab uh and they they actually find one of the soldiers uh who's played by bill mosley um, one of Kyle would know this guy. He's he's in like all of Rob Zombie's movies. Um, he's just a wounded soldier that is, is freaking the fuck out because both of his friends got eaten by the blab. Is this the rocket launcher guy? This is the rocket launcher guy. I was gonna say as soon as he came into frame, and this is where we start getting to the point of the movie where it's like, I, I see that, I see what you got there. I'm paying attention. I know what you're hiding there. Like he's got this rocket launcher on his back. I'm like, bro, I I know that you're like you just came in this movie, but I see that rocket launcher on your back and I know it's gonna get used. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember, this was nineteen eighty eight and I don't think everybody like your average moviegoer was familiar with like law launchers, like like <laughs> like single use rocket launchers. Yeah. Um, but you know, we've played a few video games between us, Nick. We know, we know what that is. <laughs> I see but, it. Yeah. You and I both recognize that instantly, but you know, it's, it's realistic to assume Kevin Dillon and, and Meg didn't know what that, that no, olive, no, no, olive no. color yeah. tube in his backpack was. Now, but it is funny when Kevin Dillon reaches for it, Bill Mosey's like, that ain't going to work. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> um, and of course it wouldn't, which is a good, I mean, it's a single use rocket. Like, like it's a yeah. good thing that he didn't use that earlier. I don't even but what know happens, if <laughs> But what happens is uh, Dr. Meadows is aware that everybody's in the sewer. And even with one of his men down there, uh, the plan is to contain the blab. So they actually park a van on top of the manhole uh, that our heroes are trying to use to escape from the blab. And, uh, they're getting very desperate. So Kevin Dillon notices the obvious uh, rocket launcher <laughs> hanging out of the guy's backpack, and he steals it from him, and he uses it to blow up the manhole and flip the van uh, and free them. And, uh, yeah, they get up to the surface, and there's a fun little standoff here when they all get to the surface. Oh, yeah. yeah. I actually really like the way this plays out because you really could have fucked this up. Like You really easily could have botched this. But the way it plays out is uh, uh, Emil, 
Meltman from RoboCop, uh, who has been a total asshole to Flag, by the way, throughout the De- entire movie. Definitely. Uh, he uh, holds up Kevin Dillon at gunpoint. Like, he draws his revolver on him because Kevin Dillon comes out brandishing a fucking M16. M16, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's, like, pointing it at the government workers and stuff. It's like, whoa, something's wrong here. Um, but Kevin Dillon is privy to information that the rest of the town is not. Um, but it's interesting because when the when the guys in the Bubble Boy outfits yeah. point their guns at Kevin Dillon, Meltman yeah. melt switches. Yeah. And instead of pointing his gun at Kevin Dillon, he points it at the government guys because he's a townie. He's like, town. Even if town. He, even if he's an outsider, he's still one of us to some extent. So it's like it, it's a neat. It's a neat yeah. little show of like dignity for that character. It's like he's not a complete asshole. No, he, I, I feel like that was the point where he kind of redeemed himself, where he, he's not like completely, you know, you sound weird. You say the blab, but no. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, wait a second. You're part of, you're part of the town. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I appreciate that bit because like I said, you very, it, it was very delicate. You really easily could have messed that up. Um, but yeah, uh, basically the way things play out is, uh, Dr. Meadows is like, shoot the fuck out of that mulleted piece of shit. Like, please, <laughs> he's, he's making me angry just looking at him <laughs> and they won't do it. Um, but the blab, uh, intercedes and yanks him and, uh, we get this bit that I was kind of expecting. It's like, if you're going to have a guy with like a, I don't know, a, a fishbowl helmet, you're going to have to have the blob get up in and that. And it does. It like floods yeah. the chamber of his helmet. But the the attention to detail, like when it yanks him, it yanks him into the manhole and he prevents himself from getting sucked in by he's what like braced on a rifle. Yeah. So he's using the rifle to like wedge himself in there. And uh the rifle gets pulled so hard it like collapses and breaks like a twig. It's like ah damn. <laughs> so, uh, it's strong. Yeah. Um but as soon as he's out of the picture, uh, the colonel that's with him, uh, the like, so there's there's soldiers and scientists. They're all wearing the same uniform, so it's difficult to pick them out of a crowd. But the colonel that's with him, he takes off his helmet, yeah. and he he does he, he does the Dwayne routine from Die Hard. He's just like kick ass <laughs> and he and a bunch of his goons walk up to the manhole and just start dumping rounds into the hole <laughs> we'll just shoot it to death that'll work let's just shoot it everybody bring your guns over here i mean shoot we in- never even get confirmation that they're shooting the blab no like they, they're, they, just, they, they're just shooting into a yeah. hole <laughs> and then they uh they pull out a satchel charge and throw it in there and it makes like a little like not even a huge explosion just kind of a my my wife said she goes if this is the end of the movie this is this is pretty anticlimactic i'm well, like I mean, no imagine that no like, come on just like <laughs> credits <laughs> they did it <laughs> they done did it america <laughs> uh but no uh the ground starts rumbling and uh the the blab bursts up from the ground and uh it comes out like an aspire and it comes down, and it hits the ground with such force that the nearby windows shatter, like telephone poles fall over. It's pretty awesome. Um, but it falls directly on top of the colonel, just in time for him to pull the pins out of his grenades. Um, and it's almost like a slap in the face to that character. It's it's really mean, because we see him do that. And in other movies, that would be like, I don't know, a heroic deed, or it's like a heroic act of self-sacrifice. 
but yeah like two shots later we just see if yeah. and you have to even pay attention like, yeah you, you do can easily you, miss it you have but, to pay attention yeah but you just see the blob and there's just a couple of flashes of light in it and barely even noise it's just like a muffled boom, yeah boom. it's like that's all it did to the blob didn't even notice <laughs> good job buddy <laughs> but this this whole sequence is kind of like a it's a fun like checklist it's like a series of attempts at nullifying or destroying the blab and instilling in the viewer that none of this works like we no. we know one thing that works but only two characters in this whole movie are aware of that none of whom are really able to do anything right now but we see like flamethrowers pitted against the blab yeah, uh, we see like guns, we see explosives. None of it does anything to the blab. The flamethrower guy gets it pretty bad because the blab like plugs, <laughs> it plugs up the nozzle and it causes like a backfire and it blows up the tank, um, which sets the reverend on fire. By the way, yeah, who's like marching around the streets preaching about end times and whatnot, um, and he gets set on fire, but they put him out. He gets better. <laughs> He's fine. Uh, so the blab the blab goes on like full rampage mode. And this is where some of the not so great like compositing shots, like like blue screen shots, eh, and yeah, and like like full on puppetry where it's like a puppet arm holding a puppet person. Like some of these shots are are kind of raggedy. Like there's no way around yeah. it. It's just no, yeah, they they are. They're like the whole. I don't know if it was just too big, but it was just like what they're. Yeah, you could tell. Like it was jarring. Like. Yeah. I think I think at this scale, it's just like you can only do so much, mm-hmm. um, and to do the things that they wanted to do, it's just like with the technology of the day, it just it just wasn't there. It didn't really come together as well as they wanted. Uh, if you want like a, some really stunning examples of of really awesome miniature miniature effects that are kind of similar to this, uh, check out the director's cut ending of Little Shop of Horrors. That's some masterclass shit. Um, However, the level of interaction that the blob has uh, is atypical for for sequences of this of this nature. Like Little Shop of Horrors, the end of that one has some spectacular miniatures, but the way that like the the creature elements interact with the the human characters is a lot less than in this movie. And it, it's whenever the two whenever the two plates have to interact with each other, where you get these ugly shots. But yeah, all like the body count in this movie. I'd be very curious what the official number is because it's very high. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you're right. It, it seems like a lot of people do die, like especially towards the end, unceremoni- unceremoniously, like you said. They're just grabbing people left and right. Like, okay, you're mine. You're eaten. You're dead. Like, well, I mean, let- there's one of the more embarrassing shots is the one guy who like falls on the sidewalk and the blob just kind of like slaps yeah, like, him. Yeah. Like, if yeah. you've ever, if you've ever, it's like a cartoon. If you've ever bought one of those uh, adhesive like hand toys from like the supermarket vending machines, yeah, the the slappy thing <laughs> yeah. that, that as soon as it touches the carpet, it's ruined forever because <laughs> it gets all fuzzy and it loses its adhesive qualities. It does that to a person. It's a terrible shot, but it just shows how like how quickly and efficiently this thing can gobble people up now that's gigantic. Um, but uh, Meg and uh. Kevin Dillon, they kind of meet up, and meanwhile, the rest of the town is taking refuge in the town hall. Like, they're barricading themselves in, and as we saw, doors don't do a whole lot to stop this thing. And this is where Meltman gets his. It's it's awful when you think about it. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't look as gruesome, uh, but when you yeah. think about it for, like, two seconds, it's like, oh, God, that was awful. Yeah. Uh, so he's 
he's like doing his due diligence of like barricading a door and he's like using a bookshelf to like brace against the door and then through the center of the bookshelf it wraps its tendrils around his midsection and we've seen how strong this thing is it just gives him a good old yank and it just bends his the back of his head to his heels and it just folds him like a New York pizza. <laughs> I was gonna say he's the only one that dies though out of that little Yeah, town. out of everybody in, yeah, in the everybody town hall. He's the only one. <laughs> he's the only one that gets sucked through. <laughs> I, I mean it's it's like if you're playing by the, the Steven Spielberg playbook, it's like if you're an asshole at any point in his movies <laughs> You're dead, you're gone. You, you're yeah. gonna get it. So he like he knew. Like he, he probably realized like two seconds ah. before he died. He's like, Oh no. I'm in a movie. <laughs> oh no, I was an asshole to that kid earlier. <laughs> it's like, but I made up for it later. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets folded. He gets folded and yeah. drawn into the blab. We don't actually see what happens after that, but just just the effect of him getting bent in half is fucking gruesome. Yeah. Um, but then the, the finale comes in the form of uh, Meg and Flag teaming up uh, to subdue the blab because they're the only people who are aware of its its one and only weakness. Uh, so Flag disappears during the confusion, and Meg <laughs> Meg doesn't really say anything about it, but you can tell she's probably a little miffed. It's like, of course he'd fucking leave. <laughs> um, but as it so happens, he headed off to the garage to pick up the snowmaker, like the truck, uh, the Mr. Plow truck that also doubles as a snowmaking machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he went to, to pick up the Battlemobile, which I'm sure... In a different era, there would be like a I don't know an action figure of this, yeah, <laughs> the bl- the blab playset complete blab. with Mister Plow Truck. Yeah. <laughs> buy all the toys to get to assemble the blab. You need to buy like Meg, Flag, Meltman, uh, that that <laughs> shitty kid, <laughs> and then you get a piece of the blab in all of those boxes, <laughs> and then you can assemble the blab. And hey, that's a great that's, idea. I mean. The Marvel toys have been doing it for years now. <laughs> it's like you gotta buy Colossus, Nightcrawler, shitty Cyclops, <laughs> and Storm if you want to build the Sentinel. <laughs> you can't just buy the Sentinel; you gotta buy all the other ones. <laughs> mm, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so he rolls up and uh, he starts spraying snow on the Blab, which gets its attention because that's the one thing it doesn't like. Uh, so it actually like dislodges from the town hall. It attacks the truck. Uh, he ends up just like running into it like a fucking jackass. Uh, yeah, he, he just goes straight into it. He's like, well, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> what's the worst that can happen, Blab? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I mean, I mean, if you, if, you, if you call it back to his confrontation with Paul, it's like, I don't think he takes into account how, how small he is. Because <laughs> like, like I said, Paul had some inches on him, and he, he yeah. didn't back down to that. It's like, you know, Flag, I think that Blob's got some pounds on your truck. You may you may not want to just head like fling yourself headlong into it. But yeah, his truck gets flipped. Yeah, <laughs> so easily, like, yeah. So like the one potential solution to this problem, you just flipped. <laughs> Good job, Flag. You would do that. We did saw what you did to your bike. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> did not see that coming. Um but yeah, he flips the truck and it like gloms onto the truck and this looks like a tonka truck like it, yeah it does it the looks, miniature of this yeah. truck looks like terrible <laughs> like, <laughs> i i have made movies in my backyard that looked like this. Yeah, it's like oh gosh that looks fake <laughs> it's like it's like 
some of the opticals were not so good but this is like one of the few shots that's just like can we not show that please like please can we just cut away but um it's like glommed onto the truck and it's got him stuck in the cab and it's like how is he gonna get out of that uh so meg comes to the rescue and uh she picks up a rifle and by the way the streets are strewn with half melted people one of which is saying help me yeah she flips it she flips him over and it's like help me just straight up ignores him but i'm like oh my gosh i completely forgot about that guy yeah he he's, he he gives the the alien help me and she peels his arm it's off just, the I street just your gun yeah yeah like like his arm is like like melted mozzarella on the pavement it's yeah it is gruesome um but she's like i ain't got time for this like, <laughs> give me your gun <laughs> um and i like that they take a beat to like have her figure out how to use the gun because yes. like she she holds yeah. it up and then I think it, the yeah. safety was on or something because she has to like lower it and like take a look at it she has to like get out her reading glasses or something <laughs> but she, she like shoots at the blob to try to get its attention um, and it kind of works out and she plants a satchel charge on the truck <laughs> um, which I mean she I I guess she saw how to activate the satchel charge by watching the colonel because they did they did use the same explosive device when they pitched it down the manhole but uh, she plants the bomb and then there's a weird hey. beat. <laughs> she, she's on top of the truck she sets a charge and she's like after she goes full rambo she's like okay got it done turns to jump off the truck immediate just straight like i don't even know how to describe it she just like face plants and she's like hooked on top of the truck so, so <laughs> the the toe the toe of her boot gets caught on like a pipe or something and yes, yeah, she she just like flips over and all, like it's a it's a miracle she didn't like concuss herself yeah. on the side of this oh. truck. Like she could have easily hit her forehead on that and just passed the fuck out. Uh, but no, she she doesn't get knocked out, but she is hanging and stuck. Like she is attached to the truck that, with a bomb attached to it with a blob crawling on it. So that, she is in the worst position. That's totally me. I was watching this. I'm like, hey, that's me. As soon as I try, like. I pull out the M16. I'm like, oh, I got this. Going full Rambo, plant the bomb. I'm like, I just got to get out of here. Boom. I look like an ass. Totally me. That's exactly what would happen if that were me. I wouldn't have even got that far, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have got trampled by the townsfolk or something because I'd be the idiot that's like trying to figure out what's going on <laughs> before I run away. But yeah, it's, it's, it's blocked in a strange fashion. Like it's choreographed in a strange fashion because... We get bonus points for having Meg, like have, like have the well with all to, to do the thing and right. like provide the solution to the monster, not not involving Kevin Dillon at all. But then we have that bit where she like, is in peril and couldn't possibly survive if not for him saving her. It's it's like we try to have it both ways, but it just comes across as like. We got lucky, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. But then again, you know, I've, uh, there is something to be said for that. It's a very unglamorous, heroic deed. It's yeah. like, it got done. <laughs> like, we're not going to be telling this story to our kids, but it got done, damn it. Um, but yeah, he, he somehow escapes from the cab of that truck. Uh, truthfully, I don't, I don't think of the blob as being something that would stop going after someone just because someone puts a couple bullets in it. Yeah, I would think it's like it's dead set on just like doing the octopus thing. It's like I'm gonna get that fish head in that jar. Like yep. I'm gonna get it. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, we we the mullet survives. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a man attached to it. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> Maybe. Um, but yeah, our breeding pair uh, run away from the explosion, and it goes off, and there's a big old snow cloud. We get a Shane Black ending. Uh, where it's <laughs> where let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. No song, but snowfall. Uh, and the blob is instantly instantly and conveniently crystallized. Yeah, very, very convenient. And I, and I'm just like, does it really kill it though? Like, no. won't, it, won't it just melt and come back, like Terminator Two esque? Yes, absolutely. Um, the 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 only lines of dialogue dedicated to the the absolute resolution of the story is uh, the mechanic who was working on the snow machine earlier has a little chuckle and uh, mentions like. Hey, get a dump truck. We need to get this thing to the ice house ASAP. Picking uh, time bomb? That's yeah. scary. I mean, it's like you got to work fucking fast, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and again, that's why the blob is so terrifying to me. Is because guess what? If if you accidentally leave a shard, guess what? Now there's two blobs, yep. or three, or four, or a twenty-five. Um, so every one of those little droplets that you you put, could potentially leave behind truthfully the blob strikes me as an unsolvable problem it's like it's it's prone to exist like it i don't think you can purely eradicate it yeah it's kind of like the thing as well it's like the the exact science behind how it infects people is pretty loose like in the in the thing they do kind of try to stress that it has to like ingest people to some degree mm. but it also seems like just contact is enough and we we've seen that it exists on a cellular level so it's like truthfully how do you get rid of that it's like i don't think you actually can which is part of why the john carpenter why that john carpenter movie is regarded as being part of what's called the apocalypse trilogy (laughs) because i'm pretty sure that that's what that story ends up as um and same goes for the blob like regardless of where the movie ends truthfully i don't think it's a happy ending no, in the no. long run no they didn't they didn't kill it they just postponed it yeah and uh this one has uh, not only like a a grim ending but also a sequel bait ending for a sequel that never would come yeah uh so we get that line about moving moving the building sized blob crystals to the quote ice house sure that's <laughs> you better have some top union workers working on that gig man top (laughs) men i don't want to see any siestas going on on that job site like like we gotta hustle (laughs) jesus um but our epilogue comes in the form of the reverend del close who is now horribly scarred and burned uh because he was set on fire during the finale of the film uh and he's now like a he's doing a sermon in a tent uh, probably in a different part of the country, definitely America, but certainly not in the town any longer. Um, and then he's he's preaching about the apocalypse, basically. And uh, he retreats to his quarters, has a has a sip from his yeah. flask, yeah. which is what you do. And uh, <laughs> one of his one of his flock uh, comes in to ask, like, when, Reverend? When? And he's like, well, so. it's like, well, let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> Uh, he says uh, the Lord will give me a sign as uh, not an actual hand, but a puppet hand that's clearly blue screened in yeah. holds, <laughs> holds up a jar uh, of blob that, as we saw earlier, he retrieved from the freezer at the diner. Uh, so this crazy reverend that's preaching about the end times uh, has possession of a piece of blab and he's looking for a sign uh, from which he should unleash the blab. Uh, which 
is a really good setup for a sequel. Um, as I said, the original Blob did have a sequel, which this actor was in. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a. Do you think we'll ever see another Blab movie, Nick? I was actually going to ask you the same thing. I was like, what what would you think if they're like, we're doing a Blob remake or whatever sequel remake? Like, what would you think about that? I'd be. I'd be scared. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. I, I'd, I'd I'd be really afraid of of the of the types of things that we can do now with effects. And, yep. And the fact that the lasting legacy of of the blab, at least in this current moment, seems to be largely built around this version of the story. Yeah. Which the reason why this movie is well remembered is mostly horrible imagery, practical, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and gruesome death. Um. I would imagine whoever takes the gig for a, a subsequent lab film would probably take that to heart and take it as a personal challenge to one up it, uh, which probably would result in further nightmares for me personally. <laughs> um, so I, I want to say that it would probably be an extraordinarily gruesome film uh, if it were to be made. Probably mulletless, but still okay, I'm sure. I think they would have to... I think if they don't do what they did with the thing and make everything CGI, if they focus more on practical and somehow make that work, I think it would be okay. Um, but if they just go full, just CGI, I, I don't think it would have the same, same meaning. Yeah. I, I think, I think what you'd get would be a, a healthy mix of both um, because I think the okay. franchise has enough, history behind it i mean for fuck's sake the original is in the criterion collection this is this is say what you will about the blab uh it is of historical significance um i do think if they were to make one they would treat it seriously they would try hard to i don't know adhere to the legacy of it um but the fact of the matter is like cgi is a tool and it does have its proper appliance and right. i think I think things like the rampage sequences when the blob is like at full size towards the end of this movie yes. would have benefited from current day yes. computer yeah, yeah. effects. Like I, I think that would have been the right tool to employ for those particular shots. For some of for like Paul's horrible death, they did it as well as you could hope to do it. Um but I do think that it would be a healthy mix of both technologies. More than likely it would be like kind of like what they do with like some of the Jurassic world movies and stuff where it's like there, there are practical appliances on set that the actors interact with, but they're covered in a computer animated. Skin. Yeah. So there is like a physical Raptor head in the room, but all the articulation and all the animation of it is covered computer, in post-production yeah. by a computer. I think that's probably how they would do a lot of it. Um, hopefully not to the same degree that they did with that uh, prequel to the thing where they completely just hid all of the yes. practical effects just like they're there you don't see any of it though yeah <laughs> which kind of sucks for the people who worked on those effects but you know is what it is um but yeah I, i'm curious though like if they were to make another blab and there were there was talk of like rob zombie or something a while back <laughs> doing one uh, he's currently working on the monsters so he's busy um, <laughs> but it is worth noting that uh, this blab i believe was the 30th year anniversary of the original Oh, um, so we were not anywhere near a, a like a fiftieth or fortieth anniversary for the blab. So there's no anniversary nearby. Um, I think at this point, being as this remake is 
so well regarded i think it might be safer to just do a sequel or something that's not a remake uh, because i mean this one does have a setup for a sequel unfortunately the actor who plays del you know del close is dead so you <laughs> i don't i don't want to see a cgi del close um unleash the blab on an unsuspecting populace as the beginning of a sequel to this but i i think that you know having two films that are so closely mirrored in their structure i think having a third one would be kind of obnoxious honestly yeah i think if they do what you what you're talking about if they do a sequel people might be lost to if yeah if you, actually if you, good point yeah if they just show up and it's like this guy this reverend has some blob and you're like what what <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, you just gave me a great opening for that movie. Just, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's just some random reverend guy that, with covered in burns, does a pocket yeah. sand on his flock. And just, it's like, hey, come here, pocket <laughs> sand, <laughs> pocket blob, <laughs> and then Be we great. have a rampage. Yeah, we would love it, but you know, other audiences may not. But. Well, I, I think the blob, the blab does not in fact have legs but i think as a concept it has legs um i but i do find myself occasionally thinking of of what that would look like and it makes my asshole clench like it keeps me up at night nick i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i'd be curious but i'd also be absolutely terrified to watch it because i know the trailers for it would just be like teasing all the horrible things and then when you get to it in the movie it's like good god i think they topped themselves <laughs> well and you know thinking about it i don't think they would leave it the same color i i think they would change it i really do i don't think they would be brave enough to leave it to be the same you know well, you know what i mean if if it was produced today i think it would be purple because that's the that's the color today like like yeah. uh a few years ago it was pink but these days i think i think we're in the purple phase where everything's purple right now yeah i mean I hbo max is purple a lot of things are purple. Thanos is purple. Yeah, no, you're right. Purple is very in right now. Um, I'm curious what the next color pattern will be uh, for the years to come. But, like, yeah, we did have a pink phase. We've segued into purple. So, yeah, I, I agree. I could see them changing the color of it. Maybe they'd, maybe they'd actually roll it back uh, to the original, have it just blood red. Oh, man. <laughs> Strawberry jam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any, any other closing thoughts about the blab, Nick? No, you know, I, I think we did our due diligence. We we talked about it. Um, you know, just I, I felt like it was underrated at the time when I watched it. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, but I don't know if it has a following, but I, I think it is. I think it is pretty decent for what it is, even though the title may seem like it's silly or, or whatever it may be. It, it does still hold up, you know, effects wise. Yeah, I think of of that long series of of horror remakes that were coming out year after year. I think it's probably the least serious among them. Oh yeah, definitely. However, it achieves everything it set out to do, and beyond its opening like twenty five minutes, it's mostly meant to be a good time. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's fun that they have that theater sequence showing the slasher movie because it's it's almost like the movie winking at you and being like this movie is not technically above those movies it's it's largely on the same tier it just has a higher budget and more ambition is all right um, but yeah I, I think it sets it sets out to do a task and it completes it and it's like it's 
it deserves to be thought of in the same breath as as the fly and invasion of the body snatchers and the thing and yeah all of those movies it, it's probably critically the least well regarded of them but it is a lot of fun and there's a lot of a lot of eye candy here if you're into this sort oh, yeah. of shit absolutely <laughs> um, yeah but yeah nick uh, thank you so much for uh for joining me this week i, I really appreciate you coming on the show hopefully you had a good time absolutely yeah, and uh, thanks for helping me uh, confront some demons here because I, I do I do feel like a stronger stronger man having <sighs> having gone face to face having having gone another round uh, with the the blab nineteen eighty eight uh, directed by Chuck Russell. Um, but that being said, folks at home, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. We also have an Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the show is available on pretty much every podcasting platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Uh, and that being said, thank you so much for joining us, and we will catch you next time. The Blab.